This is Gridiron Graduates, a weekly podcast covering all things football. Episode number 39, I Just Call Him Like I See Him, with special guests from Sports Illustrated, Chris Burke, and from the Draft Wire, John Ledyard. Recorded April 20th, 2016. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, once again to another fine edition of the Gridiron Graduates. Hope you all had a great week and are excited for the upcoming NFL Draft as much as we are. I have, of course, Bill Rossetti, your host, and joining me as always is my co-pilot, Mr. Ian Wharton. Ian, what's going on, my brother? Glad to have you back on as always. Oh, really excited, man. It's our time of year. Draft coming up in the next couple of weeks. Week or week and a half, really, at this point. Week and one day. Um, so, best time of the year for me. Um, obviously... Very happy to be joined by a couple awesome guests this week. Chris Burke, Sports Illustrated, John Ledyard of the Draft Wire, two awesome writers, um, not only in the draft community, but NFL community. So I'm doing very well, my man. Yeah, absolutely. Like Ian said, two amazing, two great guys joining us this week to, uh, to record our big live mock draft an event we've been looking forward to for quite some time. So let's introduce them now. We'll start with uh, the man from Sports Illustrated, Mr. Chris Burke. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, hey, guys. How's it going? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for stopping by. Good thing. And from DraftWire and USA Today, Mr. John Ledyard. John, my man, what's going on? Hey, guys, looking forward to this. Feels like we've been planning it for a while, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how the picks lay out, and I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. Glad to have you guys on. So, yeah, the four of us are just going to go around, and we're going to do a full first-round mock and kind of generally talk about the picks, and should be a good time. And, uh... It's crazy to think that, you know, all, all the – let me try that again. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just crazy everything that's been going on in the last couple of weeks, how the top two picks have already been traded. But at least the trade was made this morning, so we can kind of adjust the board. So, you know, we're just going to go now as if the order as it is right now is the order. You know, we're not assuming any trades. So – we're going to keep L.A. at one, Philly at two, so on and so forth. So uh, let's not waste any time. I say we jump right into it. What do you say, guys? Sounds yeah. good. I, I think I'm up first, right? I believe John is – yes, okay. John is on the clock with the Los Angeles Rams. Well, it's convenient that this, uh, our, that this recording of our mock draft happened on the day of the second trade, so that was, was nice for us. We won't have to – go back and edit a bunch of stuff and try and scrap this because our order was wrong. So that's good. And exactly. Obviously for me, this is uh, a fairly simple pick. I think, I mean, even as I look at the quarterbacks and the way I've evaluated them in this draft, I think that I don't have any first round grades on a quarterback. Um, I have early second round grade on Goff, who is my number one quarterback. But at this point, the Rams have given up two drafts worth of assets uh, to move up to the number one spot. So I feel like at this point, they've got to take a quarterback, they've got to take that risk and that gamble, even though I have better players on the board available, you're, you're L.A., and you don't have a quarterback right now for the future at all. Um, and I think Jared Goff's the most pro-ready guy, and he's my top quarterback in this draft. So makes it a pretty easy decision for me in the way I see the board. And uh, with the number one pick with L.A., I'm going to go with Jared Goff, quarterback from California. And that's the way I think they're going to go, so uh... – 
Good call there. Although as an Eagle fan, I wouldn't mind seeing Goff <laughs> fall to them. Ellie surprise people and take Wentz and Philly go with Goff. But either way, uh, Chris, the, Chris is up next, and I think we made it pretty easy for you as well, Chris, didn't we? You're on the clock with the Eagles. Cardale jump? No, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's the same. Oh, I thought you were going to take the kicker. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I think it's the same reasoning. Uh, I, I don't, especially with Goff off the board, I don't love necessarily to fit it too. And uh, if we were really doing, you know, sort of a what would you do type uh, thing here, I might consider other guys. But uh, given what uh, the Eagles have given up here, I don't think you can sell off uh, a huge chunk of your 2016 draft start of your 2017 draft and a piece of your 2018 draft and go take Jalen Ramsey or Ezekiel Elliott. I think you got to go get the quarterback. And if golf's gone, then the obvious number two is Carson Wentz quarterback at North Dakota state. So that's who I will go with here. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. I mean, you think about who they obviously have on the board and I mean, uh, you know, if we're talking about personal preference, like Chris was saying, you know, I might lean toward a guy like Ezekiel Elliott or Jalen Ramsey, especially because I think Philly's in a little bit of a different position than L.A., whereas L.A. doesn't. I mean, I don't consider at this point seeing what we've seen from Nick Foles, I don't consider him. I don't consider anyone on Rams roster really a viable starter, whereas the Eagles have a little more flexibility. So, you know, but again, they gave up so much. Do you want to do that for anything other than the quarterback position and at that point, it kind of feels silly. I, I would probably lean Paxton Lynch if it were me choosing. I have him rated a little bit higher than Wentz, but I think Chris is right that Carson Wentz is probably the obvious choice for who for who they have slated for that spot. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And uh, and as GM of the San Diego Chargers here with the third pick, uh, for the listeners too, you know, we're it, this will be more of a you know what would you do mock, but with the first two picks, obviously those are going to be a little bit more. Uh, put into ink for us. Um, so I'm going to have a little fun here since I'm the Chargers and the first two picks went my way where I can just take the best available player. Um, as much as I love offensive tackle Laramie Tunsil, I think he is a phenomenal prospect. And quite frankly, I mean, in the three or four years I've been doing this, definitely one of the stronger, if not the strongest tackle I've uh, scouted in that time frame. As much as I like him, I do have to look at the roster and what the current needs are of the San Diego Chargers. They've recently invested in the King Dunlap left tackle. Joe Barksdale gave him a five-year contract with $12 million guaranteed. I can't just pull the plug on those guys, as good as Tunsil is. I'm actually going to go to the defensive side of the ball, where I think this team needs a little bit more help. I'm going to take Jalen Ramsey, and I'm going to put him at free safety to start his career. Of course, they've got Jason Barrett, Casey Hayward, uh, Brandon Flowers, so he can ease into cornerback at times if that's the direction they want to go. Uh, but I think you add that superstar free safety uh, and strong safety versatile playmaker, and uh, I don't I don't think twice about that. I mean, I, I'd be quite happy with, to me, one of the top three talents in this draft. Yeah, I think Ian makes some great points. I mean, it's San Diego is really just such an advantageous situation right now. I mean, sitting at number three. And you basically have what's essentially become the number one pick in the draft with teams reaching for quarterbacks, at least when you look at most people's boards, the top players are all going to be available. So they've got a really tough decision with Laramie Tunsil and Jalen Ramsey on the board. And I really don't think you can go wrong with either spot. So Ramsey's going to be nice for that defense. 
Yeah, I feel the same way with San Diego. You know, like like you guys said, they're pretty much going to have their pick of the litter once the top two quarterbacks go off the board. So it's going to be a really interesting decision, you know, which way they go. Do they go Ramsey? Do they go Joey Bosa? Do they go um, Laramie Tunsil? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting. And I guess we can't we, we can't discount the possibility of them trading that pick as well, but... Right. I think they're definitely sitting pretty at this point. I think they'd love to trade that pick. If they get the opportunity, they get anything close to what Cleveland just got. I think they would definitely think about it, especially if you're talking about going to seven or something like that and, and still having a chance at one of these guys. But, yeah, I, I like that pick. I think those points you made about uh, the offensive line are important. I think they like their guys if they're healthy and uh, with Ken Wisenhunt coming back to call plays, I think the dream is that the offensive tackles are, I don't want to say irrelevant to the passing game, but that you don't need him as much because the ball's out in, you know, right. a, a yes. second. So, yeah, yeah I like that call on Ramsey. And that's, and that's the beauty of Philip Rivers, too, is that yep. he works so well in a muddy pocket to where it's just like, well, we can have an average offensive line and be okay. I guess that puts me on the clock with the Dallas Cowboys. And this is another team I think that's going to be now sitting pretty because even with Ramsey off the board, they still have a couple players they can look at. Uh, Bosa, Zeke, a couple other players. I know Cowboys fans probably want the flashy running back, but I'm going to go ahead and give them Joey Bosa to uh, plug up that defensive line, uh, especially with... You know, they're losing a little bit of pass rush for the first couple games this season with, um, as I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory. Yep. Randy Gregory suspended, yeah. They do have Demarcus Lawrence coming back, but yeah, Gregory beats. Lawrence got suspended today, too. (laughs) So they're down Lawrence and Gregory for the first four games of the season. (laughs) Well, there you go. See, this is what happened. And you're getting a legit surprise reaction from me uh, for those listening because I was actually not aware. I did not get a chance to catch up on a lot of the news. So, wow. So I think that makes it even more fitting that they could go defensive line in the first pick. So I'm going to go ahead and give them Joey Bosa, defensive end from uh, Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good pick and fit to need. I think that... One of the things I think about when I'm in Dallas' spot is do you think about the next four games? Do you think about, you know, a long-term future and really even next season's future? I mean, what's going to be the most impactful pick? And I like Bosa a lot. I don't think you can go wrong with that pick. I'm very partial to Ezekiel Elliott, and I think behind that behind that offensive line, even with Tony Romo were to go down, he's a guy that could really carry that offense uh, better than any quarterback in this draft even could uh, in that scenario. So, I like him a lot. I, you know, I'd probably think about him there, but Joey Bosa obviously is a, is a good pick as well. I like him with Rod Marinelli too, because uh, I mean, obviously Rod Marinelli's done great work with uh, a lot of players, but I think he'd give him the best chance, not just to be a, uh, you know, stand him out at one end spot and and lock him in there, but I think he gives him some chances to come down inside and rush from the tackle spot where he's can be really good and move him around, I think you'd probably see him maximize the number of ways they utilize Joey Bosa, and that's that's key. I mean, especially this top ten, you you don't want to necessarily 
uh, worry about scheme too much if you're taking best player available in the top 10, but I think that's one of the better scheme fits for sure for him. Right. Yeah, now I've got Jacksonville up on the clock, and uh, you know they were probably looking at both San Ramsey, hoping they would and they would slip through a little bit. But now they've got a tough decision that they probably didn't foresee. Uh, and Laramie Tunsil's on the board, and they've obviously added a number of tackles uh, this offseason. Talking about Calvin Beecham, obviously he's the guy that they feel like can beat last offseason. It was Jeremy Parnell and Luke Jokel, obviously still there. So we've got such a wealth at the position right now. Um, and especially after signing Beecham, although we can get out of that deal pretty easily, do we want Tunsil? He's the best player in the draft and on my board. Um, he, he, he definitely, feel, he's definitely a better player than anyone we currently have. Uh, do we want to use those kind of resources? Are we ready to give up on Luke Jokel? Um, are we ready to make that move? Um, I think that's a tough call, uh, for Jacksonville to make. Uh, but looking at my board, even as tempting as other guys are, I don't know how they can pass up on Tunsil. Um, I just think uh, he's the best player in the draft, and even though they've got uh, plenty of options to tackle, you know, like I said, they can get out of the Beecham deal. Uh, Jokel only has a couple years left, I think, on that, and he just hasn't made the strides that they hoped he would make. Um, and, and you've got to get somebody that can protect Bortles long term. They never thought Tunsil would be here, so I think they've got to go ahead and take him just in terms of best player on the board, and he makes their offensive line and their offense as a whole, which is improving a lot. He makes them that much better right away. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sitting six, Baltimore, and I was ready to race to the podium with the Larry <laughs> Tunsil pick, so uh, not going to fault you for that one. I mean, I think, yeah, once you get to that point in the draft, it's hard to ignore the value of a guy that we were pretty unanimously talking about as the number one pick mm-hmm. for Tennessee before they moved down. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like that idea of nabbing him there disappointed as the Ravens uh virtual GM here that he's not there but uh still some choices for them and Miles Jack is is has dropped a little bit I think that'd be an interesting pickup um you know they they obviously got CJ Mosley but I think outside of him a lot of question marks at linebacker not really uh, anyone locked in at starter next to Mosley um questions outside too uh, but that said, I, I mean, I think that the bigger impact for them in a spot where they really need a playmaker badly is along that defensive line. And DeForest Buckner is sitting there at six, you know, and I, I like that. I think I've written somewhere before when I kind of look at players and look at schemes and what they ideally would have uh, in certain positions. It's hard for me to find a, a better match than what DeForest Buckner can be and and what the Ravens would like to have up front. So uh, that'll be my pick at six is DeForest Buckner for Baltimore. Yeah, I think that's a great point, too, is that when you talk about just pure scheme fits, and I know, Chris, you and I talk about that kind of stuff a lot. You're right. I mean, I don't value Buckner maybe that this high uh, and and also as high as, as a lot of other analysts do. But at the same time, he fills a need there for sure. I mean, who? How many teams are going to run on DeForest Buckner, Brandon Williams, and Timmy Jernigan up in that front? Um, and he, he can do what he does at a high level. And I have no doubt in my mind Baltimore will maximize his ability. So I don't think he's, he's an elite pass rusher, but they've rarely had those kind of guys at those positions. Um, and, and the way that they use that position, I think he's going to be really effective there. And like I said, there's lots of good, good names on the board for them. I think Shaq Lawson's a guy they should look at. Miles Jack, Ezekiel Elliott, but you know, Buckner's a solid pick for them as well. 
Interestingly, yeah, and I think, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, interestingly enough, it was dropped on uh, MMQB, Justice Mosquito pointed this out on Twitter, um, they're going to be switching to a 4-3 defensive front next year, and I don't know if that's going to be full-time or if it's just going to be a multi-front, but mm-hmm. I really like Buckner, even if, it, even if it is a full-time switch as a three-technique and defensive end hybrid. Um, he did a lot of damage at pretty much every position from three-tech out to seven out at Oregon, so I really like that addition for them. Yeah, I think this is probably going to be the floor for Buckner. Like, I agree with you, Chris, that uh, if Tunsil was there, I think Baltimore is absolutely ecstatic. You know, there's your left tackle for the next 10 years and certainly for the next few years protecting Flacco. But Buckner's definitely going to be a nice consolation prize if you, know, if you want to use that term. I think, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. I, I know his, his spot sort of varies, has varied quite a bit, but I think they could consider Ronnie Stanley there too. If Tunsil's off the board and, you, you know, you're getting uh, maybe not the same level of player, but not that far off. And I think you would help them in, in similar ways. You know, you drop them in on the right and then or I drop them in on the left and, and not worry about uh, Eugene Monroe's contract and injury issues anymore and just let him be your starter. So uh, just another name to throw out there for them. But, yeah, I, I like the Buckner fit. And that is yeah, especially if they stay in a 3-4, but certainly if they're in a hybrid or even a 4-3, I think he he works across the board, which is one of the selling points for him. So with the seventh overall pick, um, I've got Chip Kelly. I've got the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, to me, this is pretty easy decision with Buckner off the board. Uh, my second-rate quarterback is still on the board uh, with Paxton Lynch from Memphis. I'm going to try to take him, slow cook him a little bit if I can, but quite honestly, I think he's easily the most talented quarterback on the roster. If I take him, um, I'm going to try to pedal Colin Kaepernick away to the highest bidder if I can um, and start to move on to the next era. I just think that Lynch is a guy, although he's coming from a very simple offense with Memphis, he's a very natural passer in the pocket. He can move around in that pocket as well. Uh, he does not fret too often at the side of pressure, and I like that a lot about his game. Uh, there's some nuance that he needs to improve, such as stepping into his throws. He's got a strong arm that he does not constantly show, and I think that that's just related to footwork and, and adjusting to uh, a little bit more of a difficult challenge, uh, especially in the second half of 2015. You saw his performance dip just a little bit as defenses started to take away uh, easier reads, the easier concepts in the Memphis offense. So you're going to have a little bit of a learning curve there, but you will with all of these guys. Um, hate to force a quarterback here, but I feel like this is the right pick. Kelly always passed up those quarterbacks um, in Philadelphia in his short term there. Um, outside of you know free agency, obviously, just looking at the draft aspect of it. Um, so I think we need to add our quarterback now, start building around Paxton Lynch. Yeah, Lynch is my number two passer, and to me, it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, like I said, you gotta you gotta get your guy, and I I don't know, I just don't know you can trust Kaepernick, and the the 49ers are really hard to pick for, I think, because of that. We we're not inside the building, we don't know is he any more likely to play this year for that? Is he any more likely? Are they gonna iron out their issues? Uh, so that they're hard to determine because if Kaepernick is, I think he can work well in Chip Kelly's system, but there's just no guarantee of that. Uh, there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to be cohesive together. So I just, 
I think you maybe if nothing changes in the coming days before the draft, you got to pull your trigger and, and get that quarterback while you can because the way they're coming off the board, they're not going to be there in the second round. Yeah, that would be my only criticism. There is the same one that we had really for Goff and Wentz. I mean, I have Goff as my I have Goff, Wentz, Lynch, one, two, three, uh, and Goff is the only one I have a firm first round grade on. I have Wentz of a borderline one, two, and and then Lynch and Cook in round two. So uh, this is sort of the uh, the the trouble when you get into the spot of needing a cornerback is. You always, it's the, really the one spot where you almost have to just throw away the best player available approach and go with, you know, if you need a quarterback, go with the top quarterback on your board because there's only so many options. And if they don't take Lynch here, you know, who knows what they end up with later on. It's probably nothing. Uh, I mean, I don't know that any of those guys would be there in round two when they pick. So, you know, you're probably looking at a year, two years of, of Blaine Gabbard as your quarterback or, or trying to, Convince Colin Kaepernick to uh, <laughs> to come back uh, full bore. So yeah, I mean it, it makes sense from the 49ers needing quarterback. Said it's the only issue I have with it is just overall with all the quarterbacks where they're going. Right. Funnily enough, I was just asked on Twitter who I think is going to land Christian Hackenberg <laughs> on the subject of quarterbacks. So. Maybe we can avoid that know. ball in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess I am on the clock now with the Cleveland Browns. And excuse me a sec, i got to talk to my analytics team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Oh, the, the Mets are winning. Oh, we're in football. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I look at the Browns, you know, and it's – started thinking about it a little bit now, too, because, you know, all the hype that all the talk that the Eagles were possibly going to move up. So it's like, okay, who are the Browns potentially going to take it? Uh, this might be a little bit of a curveball, but I'm going to go ahead and give them Ezekiel Elliott. I know, uh-huh. you know you've got Kroll, Kroll on the ball in there. you got Duke Johnson, but, uh, you know, they want to, they probably want to build this offense. And, you know, that they got Robert Griffin third. I mean, you know, that doesn't completely solve, solve their quarterback problems, but at least bring in Zeke, take a little bit of the pressure off Griffin. We know the Browns aren't going to do much this year anyway, but uh, Zeke might give them some resemblance of an offense. So, yeah, I like this pick, actually. I think, I mean, if you're Cleveland and you're sitting there, you know, you look at the options that are on the board and, you know, depending, I, I think Miles Jack's a great player, obviously, too, but depending on his injury issues, you may not want to take the risk there. I think Cleveland could trade down again, um, but with the top three quarterbacks off the board, there's really not much point in, re- in, in reaching for another one. I think uh, that would be a little bit too re- rich for me. So, I mean, you look at who's on the board and you look at the best players available, and I mean, Duke Johnson's going to be a good player in that offense. There's no question, but you know, he can also be a complementary piece and, and, and is very different from Elliott in his style, I think. Um, and Crowell has yeah. not been the player they want him to be. He just hasn't been. Um, he, he had some promising moments as a rookie, but last year was disappointing. And they obviously had plenty of other issues, too. But I'm just not sure they can be a guy that they rely on. So I don't know that they have a, a, a running back right now that they would be like, we're okay with you carrying the load. And, you know, keep Elliott in state. He can he can definitely help carry your offense and help alleviate pressure on RG3. It makes a lot of sense. Can I just make note, too, that uh, as a Penn State grad, 
I've already taken two Ohio State players. <laughs> oh, sorry. What does that say about me? You're, let, you're letting go of your bias. That's a good thing. <laughs> All right. Um, if anyone has any thoughts on – any more thoughts on Elliot, or we'll move on to John with Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, okay. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I agree. I, I like it because I think that you're, the Browns are in a spot where you can't be saying, well, let's get, you know, focus in on one position. It doesn't really do them a whole lot of good. I think you take the best guy there and, and kind of hope it works. I, I like that pairing together. I actually think, you know, I, I don't know what RG3 is going to be, but you look at that line, even without, Mac without Mitchell Schwartz, the left side of it, if they keep Joe Thomas, I mean, you've got Thomas, Petonio, Cam Irving stepping in at center. The line still could end up being pretty decent. So, you know, it, it could be a team that runs for some yards and uh, you put those two together. I don't, they, they probably don't win a ton of games, but I'm not sure any team necessarily has a lot of fun defending that run game. Yeah, and and even as I look at you know moving on to Tampa Bay's pick and and uh, what their needs are, um, you know, I think that the board has fallen pretty nicely for them. They don't have a lot of huge needs. I think they'd like to look at wide receiver. They could definitely look at a Ronnie Stanley here or, or a Taylor Decker, who's a little bit higher on my board. Um, you know, the defensive line's an option. They're set there, but uh, long term they've got some guys with contracts running out, and there's been the whispers every year that they oh, may trade Gerald McCoy and and that he could be on the block and. It's never happened, but I think there, there's some options in the position. But to me, I look at edge rusher and, and see their needs there and, and, and think about how much I like Shaq Lawson as a player and how well he fits into their defense as well. I mean, Lawson, I think, can play from a two- or three-point stance and be effective. He's NFL-ready from, from a run game standpoint in terms of knowing his assignment and carrying it out. I mean, you just never see – the guy doesn't fall for ball fakes. The guy doesn't fall for misdirections. Or anything like he's such a disciplined player. He's extremely physical, um, and he's got a bevy of moves that he can use as a pass rusher. He may not be the most twitchy guy, um, but I think he's got enough bend to get to the quarterback that way. We've seen his spin move many times. He's got powerful hands, and he he brings it, man. I mean, high character marks on and off the field. He's a guy that just works constantly. The people in Clemson they can't say enough good things about him um, as a prospect and as a player. So to me, he's one of the safest picks in the draft. I think he's one of the best players in the draft. I think we're going to look back on him as one of the one of the top uh, prospects that was available. And so the Bucks, with their needs for pass rushers, uh, even with the signing of Robert Ayers, I think he makes a ton of sense, and, and that that's the pick they've got to go with uh, at number nine. I love that pick. For some reason, there's been this Kevin Dodd over Shaq Lawson movement from, you know, hashtag sources. Um <laughs> And and that's not I shouldn't say that in as a disparaging remark to Kevin Dodd. I think he's a fine player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me I'm with you here on, on Lawson, man. Like he he's a really solid player who can continue to get better. He instantly impacts a defense as a run defender. Um, and it's not like he's a slouch either in passing plays. I mean, he to me is a guy who can really benefit from getting with uh veteran pass rushers, uh really just continue to improve his overall craft and his hands. Um Tampa Bay, I think, is a perfect fit as well. I'm with you here. Uh, I love this next to Gerald McCoy, next to other explosive athletes in that front seven. Just continuing to rebuild that unit um, into a very respectable one. Yeah, well, again, I, I'm below you after you took uh, one of the guys that was top on my board. Uh, so, I, you know, sitting with the Giants at 10, 
and really both those guys that just went, if Elliot had been there, I, I know that sort of uh, goes against what we've seen from Jerry Reese to some extent, yeah. but if he was there, I, it'd be hard to say no at 10. And same thing with Lawson, even though they spent all that money on the defensive line this year, I think, you know, you're not sure how long Jason Pierre-Paul is going to be there, how effective he's going to be coming back. Um, I think they still could use one more impact edge rusher, and certainly Lawson fits the bill. So both those guys gone. Um, uh, this is a little tougher pick, and I kind of narrow it down to two, which I think one of the cornerbacks would make sense here. And, Maybe Vernon Hargraves. Uh, I guess it depends on who's tops on your board at cornerback. I'm gonna, as long as we're doing sort of what uh, a what would you do premise, uh, I'm gonna step outside the Jerry Reese box here because this is the Giants haven't taken a player at this position in two decades. But uh, I think Miles Jack at ten here, yes. if he's healthy, the value of it is just through the roof. I mean, I, I don't think you can pass on him if he's if you think he's going to be healthy anytime in the near future. Uh, I think you've got to jump at it. You look at their potential starters at linebacker and it's ugly i mean they don't really have anyone of note there and certainly no one that that opposing offenses have to be aware of or uh try to worry about it in the passing game or the running game so i think that uh, with all the money they spent on that defensive front you'd expect that d-line to be really good this year added janoris jenkins uh got landon collins last year in secondary i mean it's a it should be really good at, up front and at least solid in the secondary. And this is maybe the piece that helps put him over the top. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a great pick. I actually was on Giants radio the other day, and they were like, you know, those guys were, there were what percentage chances that the mouse jack is there for us? Please tell us that he could be there. And obviously the medicals are, are the variable, and the teams are going to have to, you know, look at that situation and, but, I mean, his value and what he brings to that defense that they're missing right now, it's just massive, I think. I mean, that is the missing piece for them. I mean, they have not had good, solid linebacker play, especially in coverage, for a long time now. So to find a linebacker of that caliber at number 10, now, you know, there is there is the, the possibility of the injury, like I said, affecting him long term. And so they're going to have to do their due diligence on that and you take that risk. But Really, I mean, I don't think historically we've seen many meniscus injuries go on to derail a player's career seriously. So if you take that into perspective, obviously every situation is different and they'll have to evaluate it that way. But, yeah, from a fit perspective, from a need perspective, the value of the pick, you're taking a risk on any draft selection, man. I say that every year. Like, you know, there always is some element of risk, especially when it comes to health. And, you know, the Giants, the one bet negative thing with them is they've had a ton of that over Jerry Reese's tenure. I was looking the other day. I mean, they have had so many picks that dealt with injury, so that could eventually scare them off. But, you know, I think Jack just fits really well there and fills a huge need. And the long-term concerns are really interesting to me because, for the most part, you're looking at what type of impact are they going to provide in the next four to five years, which is the rookie deal. I mean, if you can get a good player for that time frame, you've already won half the battle. Now, right. if you can get a guy who can come in with a second, maybe even third contract, that's just icing on the cake, to be honest. I mean, the more you break down these draft picks, the issue really comes is when you get guys who just don't produce, period. Miles um, Jack's going to be able to produce in some form and fashion um, as long as he's able to 
mostly recover from this injury. And like from what we've heard, for the most part, if those reports are true, the concern is long term, not necessarily short term. So I love this pick as well. Um, I think this is the ideal range for Miles Jack. I'm a little bit lower on him than than some other analysts. Um, I still really like his game. But I think this is a great fit because of that investment into the defensive line. It's going to open things up for him to do what he does best, which is just shoot and chase down. So no one thinks Keenan Robinson scares anybody. No. <laughs> There's okay. the Giants, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, John, just tell those tell the radio people you're talking to, just point them to our podcast and be like, here, here's the way Miles Jack can fall to the Giants. <laughs> exactly, I'll tell them. <laughs> Shameless plug, I know, but hey, gotta do it. You gotta right. do it. Ian, you're uh, John Fox now. What are you gonna do? Yeah, so I'm I'm in an interesting situation here. Uh, I like the offense that the Chicago Bears have built. Um, I do think that there are maybe a little bit of depth issues I'd like to clear up on offense uh, throughout the draft. But I think with this first-round pick, I'm gonna go on the defensive side of the ball. I love what this team has done over the last two off seasons in terms of adding talent that just works well together. Um, obviously, redid their linebacker core uh, in the last two years. Pernell McPhee, Jerome Freeman, Danny Trevathan, just fantastic players uh, that you can build around on that front seven. I think that there, another pass rusher is needed. I know this is an individual you're going to have to have some faith in um, as far as off the field. But as, as far as on the field, I think he's a very good player. Um, I'm going to go with Noah Spence, former Ohio State guy an Eastern Kentucky outside linebacker. He's got the versatility to play in a 3-4 or a 4-3. Uh, we obviously saw him mostly in a 4-3 last year. Dominated the senior bowl. Um, if his head is on right, if his life is in a positive direction, I think he could really be a huge dis- difference maker for this team. He's not going to be pressured to start right away. He can play in a rotation with Lamar Houston, uh, Willie Young, and a couple of other players and help try to complement Pernell McPhee as this team tries to fight for the playoffs in 2017, 2016 and 2017. I've got my fist up in the air uh, here in my in my office, uh, Ian, because I love <laughs> that pick. Um, yeah, that's who I when I did uh, kind of my what I would do mock draft. I gave them no Spence, and they've got they've definitely got some options there. But man, I just think no Spence is that other pass rusher. Put him across from Pernell McPhee. Um, I just think that that's huge for their defense right now. That's what they need. And and guys like Lamar Houston and Willie Young just haven't consistently worked out uh, we've seen flashes from houston but haven't consistently worked out given the deals that they gave them and i think they've got to kind of be in that position now after a couple of years with those guys where they've got to be ready to take that next step away from them i love spence's game this is right around his range for me i think uh and maybe we're both a little higher on him than some other people that like him in the later end of the first round but i think he's a very good pass rusher uh twitchy and has enough bend and showed in in mobile i thought that he could use his hands really well and uh be a power rusher when you need to as well. And, and a guy that I think loves the game of football. And yes, that got derailed for a little bit with poor life decisions, but you know, I have had the opportunity to get to know Noah Spence pretty well. And I just, I think that he really is a kid that's trying working hard to prove people. I mean, the guy that guy went out and after he was cleared and he didn't have to do this anymore, he was mandating his own drug test to stay accountable. Um, and so I think that that shows a step in maturity. We don't necessarily see uh, from a lot of prospects every year. So I appreciate that about him. I think he really does care about the game. There's definitely a risk. I won't act like there isn't. Um, but like I said, there's a risk with these guys you have to evaluate. And I think Chicago has the pieces around him and, and the structure of an organization to be able to, uh, you know, mature him and bring him along uh, as a person and as a player. 
Yeah, I think you mentioned the key. I think he has shown. I mean, you when you have an issue like that with the player, you just want to see that there's some evidence that he's learned from it. And I think there certainly is more than enough of that from Noah Spence. And so in terms of what the Bears need, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, given what's gone off the board, what's there, it's hard to find a better option for them. I mean, I think there are some uh, some names up top that could maybe entice them. And I guess, you know, since we had talked about um, some trades a little bit, I mean, I'd throw them out as a team that I could see moving up in round one. When we get there, depending on what's available, I could see them going after uh, maybe even Ezekiel Elliott if they want to. And lower level, less exciting non-draft trade. But Willie Young, you mentioned him. If Dallas is looking for a defensive end on the cheap, that might be the way to go is give Chicago a call and get Willie Young back into a 4-3 where he was a more effective player. Puts me on the clock with New Orleans, and as the Saints GM here, I'm liking my spot. I'm liking a couple players. I'm looking at a wide receiver, and I'm looking at cornerback. Um, and when I think about it, you know, I could probably get solid receiver depth in the later rounds. You know, there's always talk that receivers usually pretty deep, and at 12, I think it's pretty solid value to take this guy. And no, it's not an Ohio State guy this time. <laughs> We're actually going down to Florida, and I'm going to go with Vernon Hargraves to the Saints to try to beef up that uh, secondary and see if we can salvage it a little bit. Yeah, the Saints are in an interesting position because their secondary was horrible last year, but they also missed Keenan Lewis for most of the year, and he's had his injury issues. But when he's when he's healthy, I think he's one of the better corners in the game. But that's been a while right. still, so... Uh, that's the biggest with him. And then P.J. Williams coming back, who was the draft pick they really like. So they've got some pieces, and, and Delvin Bro played really well last year too. So they've got some pieces in the secondary, but there's also the level of uncertainty. You know, Bro's only played one year at high level, and Lewis has the injury issues. P.J. Williams hasn't played at all. I mean, he missed his whole rookie season. So I could definitely see them going for a corner at this bench. I really think they need playmakers or receiver too, and all the receivers are still on the board, so that's a big option for them too. Um, I think they've got to get – yeah, they've got Brandon Cooks and, and they've got Willie Snead, but they've got to get some big targets around Drew Brees, I think, too, in the passing game. But um, I don't think they can – you can't really go wrong with Vernon Hargreaves to me. And maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't have the sex appeal some corners in the past have had, but I think overall you're still talking about a player who's extremely solid in the run and obviously against the pass. And I think he can play in a number of different schemes, and, and he can he show the ability to press despite being a smaller guy. He's got ball skills and – yeah, he's going to give up a big play occasionally here or there because he likes to take some chances. And But, I mean, you know, if you're looking defensively, you're looking at corners, I love guys that can create. Uh, that's the reason I love Marcus Peters. I love guys that can create something uh, special on your defense. So, yes, there's going to be times where you shake your head with Hargraves, but he's a really smart player and really disciplined, and I think he'll learn from that and grow as well. Yeah, and I you know, nearly went with Treadwell, but um... – I just felt the value was pretty good here for Hargraves at 12, so I just went ahead and, you know, hoping hoping I can find someone at receiver in round two. Treadwell kind of, would be a nice fit there. Uh, and I, I like the Hargraves pick, too, but Treadwell's the one that I've kept coming back to in mocks um, just because, mainly because it's Sean Payton still in charge there. Uh, but the Hargraves, you mentioned the playmaking, John. I think that... Uh, why it's interesting is because even if they upgrade the defense, they're not going to ever be a team that's trying to win 21-17. 
So you put a, a a defensive player there that can maybe once or twice a game give you the type of play that helps you flip field position, and that should be that's in the dream for the Saints. That's more than enough. You know, you get a couple stops, you force one or two turnovers, and let that offense take over. And so I think right. he's that type of guy that can be uh, a game changer for them for sure. To kind of piggyback on what John was saying. Um, about the depth of the cornerbacks, it, there is a lot of uncertainty there. Um, Lewis being hurt, but also he's a guy with a high cap number. This is a team who's been in cap hell for how many years now? Uh, if he has another setback, I mean, you almost have to consider just moving on from Lewis. Hargraves mm-hmm. helps give you protection for that. And also for Bro, as well as he played, he's a guy with a contract situation that's going to be coming up soon. He was not expected to really be much of a, of a player, and so he was on a short-term contract as well. Um, so long-term ramifications of this trade, or uh, this selection, is quite clear, is that Hargraves is going to be moving forward, uh, the future of the position, and hopefully they can lock down Bro and, and continue to develop P.J. Williams. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with having three good cornerbacks. I mean, I think we've all seen the importance of that um, here in the last couple of years as nickel defense takes over the NFL. Yeah, I definitely definitely agree with that point, Ian. Um, uh, now on the board, looking at the Dolphins. Now I have Miami's pick, and if I mess this up, Ian may kick me off the show. <laughs> so I really had to think about what I'm going to do here uh, with Miami's pick. Definitely some needs to consider. Um, I don't think anything that that's crazy in terms of um, you know. I think they could look at running back, obviously, but I'm, it's not a need that is necessarily crying for them. At least in terms of you look at the value on the board. I mean. You could take Derrick Henry here, but I think it's a little bit high for him. So Miami definitely is the option to trade down again, I think. Um, you know, offensive line pieces, I don't trust Brandon Albert's health. I think we, we know they think that's risky to do. So I do think they'll look at offensive line pieces. Um, Juwan James is still a guy that, that they like in terms of his development, um, and, and hopefully maybe he can play on the left side someday. And so, But he's on the right side right now. So they've got options uh, to look at along the offensive line, I think. Defensively, they'd like a linebacker, I think. And if, if I'm actually thinking like Miami here, I think that they probably are, are pretty high on Darren Lee uh, to fit into their defense. And it makes sense. I mean, he, he plays a huge role in the defense. I think he's a guy who can grow into a cover role. But for me, I'm just not that high on him uh, to, to pick him here. So I'm going to go a, a little bit. Uh, maybe this is this is high for him, maybe not. But I think uh, William Jackson, the cornerback from Houston, is a guy that I, I value here, I think. Um Jamar Taylor hasn't been horrible, but he definitely hasn't been great, I think. Uh, Bobby McCain I liked last year as a late-round guy, so I think he can develop there. You're not sure what you're getting with Byron Maxwell, I think, right now. So there's definitely some question. I think William Jackson can come in, develop for a while, and eventually replace Jamar Taylor there, cornerback. I think he fills a need and he fits their style, and I think that uh, he can play well in that defense. So I think that uh, if in Miami, there's definitely some needs and other players to consider, but Jackson's the the player I'm going with uh, for their pick. I, I'm gonna have to move my draft slot. Uh, it's like playing, it's like playing Battleship with someone who's cheating and looking over at the where you have the pieces. Uh, no, I mean I think Jackson. This is I, I've had him going. I think I think it's been trending the way for a lot of people to have him go as the number two cornerback in this draft. I think this is a good spot for him. I think it's a you know the the type of cornerback that they would like to have moving forward with that length and you know with the ability to mix and match and whether he's playing press or in zone so i i love that idea for them i think it's a great pick yeah this is he's 
probably my top target if I'm the Dolphins, personally. Um, at least sitting where they're sitting. Yeah, like you said, perfect scheme fit here. Miami's going to run a lot of cover two, cover four concepts, just like Cincinnati did, so he's a perfect fit into that. That's going to help Byron Maxwell a little bit. Moving Jamar Taylor back into the slot is much more natural for him. Um, athletically, he just he doesn't seem to be the same guy as he was out of Boise State, and he's, his physical mindset does fit the slot very well. Um, so Jackson, I think, slides in immediately as a starter. Um, obviously, he's going to quote-unquote compete, but, I mean, he's, there's not that much talent there. Um, but he's not going to be able to overtake quite quickly. Um, the other guy I'd be interested in there is Shaq Lawson, but obviously he's, he's off the board for, for Miami here. I love the William Jackson pick. I think that's a home run. So I get to stay on the show? Uh, for a few more picks, yeah. Until, <laughs> unless if you start stealing my guys. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, again – Going uh, to my option two here, I got the Raiders, right? Is this this is me, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Raiders, of course. I'm going to make sure I was actually on the clock before I picked. You are Reggie McKenzie right now. <laughs> uh, Raiders of 14, I think William Jackson would have been a terrific fit for them. I'm intrigued here by the value of Laquan Treadwell. I don't know how much longer you can trust Michael Crabtree. There's not a lot of depth behind them, uh, behind Crabtree and Cooper. I think that would be a really interesting pick for them. Uh, just go all out on that offense. But uh, I think uh, value and how they're they're set up defensively, uh, the 2016 AFC West champion Oakland Raiders will take uh, Sheldon Rankins from Louisville here. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, they have obviously have Khalil Mack, Bruce Irvin. Uh, if Mario Edwards comes back healthy, they've got pass rushers. Uh, and they've got some big bodies inside, Justin Ellis, Dan Williams. They don't necessarily, uh, I guess Edwards to some extent fits this bill, but uh, they could use one more guy who can kind of push the pocket on passing downs inside, and I think rankings can do that and and a ton more. So just round out that defensive line with uh, another versatile playmaker and, and really be <laughs> they'd be so tough to deal with up front. They're already tough to deal with up front, but I think this – takes them into another stratosphere yeah i think rankins makes a ton of sense for them and like you said the raiders are hard to pick for in some ways because they they almost don't have really a, a whole lot of crying needs i think they could be interested in a guy like darren lee carl joseph would be a really nice luxury pick for them and like i said a team without a lot of needs might feel like they can take a risk uh, on on joseph's knee and and his health situation because man i mean reggie nelson's not going to be there that long and safety probably is that one area they really need to to find a playmaker and he certainly fits that bill. I think he can play either safety spot. So I think he fits in a lot of ways, but Rankins is a difference maker up front. And, and right now you don't know what's going to happen with Mario Edwards. And you got a guy who can play in multiple fronts, which Oakland has, has, has used in the past. So he, he's a guy that won't come off the field for you. Excellent physical conditioning, um, can rush the passer and stop the run at a high level, can two gap, can one gap. Like he can just do it all. Um, I mean, at a high level. So, I mean, in terms of a guy who can come in and make in his NFL ready, can make an immediate impact, which is, I mean, the Rangers are in win now mode. They can compete for for playoffs. They can compete for a Super Bowl this year, I think. So they've got to be thinking that way. And I think a guy like Rankins makes a ton of sense for them up front. Well, I'm sitting here with Tennessee, the Titans, obviously moving down all the way from the number one spot um, to the middle of the first round with a 15th pick. Um, they're in an interesting situation, obviously, with a young offense. Uh, still a lot of pieces there that are developing, need a little bit of help. They did make the trade for DeMarco Murray, which is interesting. 
I'm not sure if he'll be the, the star of the past, but uh, obviously another playmaker for uh, Marcus Mariota, or at least that's the hope. Defensively, they don't have a lot of big needs, but they don't have a lot of impact players either. They've got a ton of draft picks. Point being, they can afford to take some guys who can step in right away, uh, try to make an impact, but then they can also take some big swings later in the draft. So I'm looking at that right tackle position, and I know that we missed out on, uh, on Laramie Tunsil. There is some talk of them being interested in uh, in the Notre Dame tackle, Ronnie Stanley, and he's still on the board. But personally, my tackle, my second favorite tackle in this draft is Taylor Decker from Ohio State. I think he would be a much easier projection to either the right side or the left side. I think he's going to be more of a right tackle in this situation. I'm not a big fan of just converting tackles to other sides. Um, same for interior linemen, but I will say skill set-wise, um, and mentality-wise, I think he does have that type of ability to play on the right uh, side of the line. You can keep Taylor Lewan on the left side where he is more comfortable, and he's stated so multiple times. Um, for me, you're adding an impact right tackle to an offense that needs to start improving the run aspect of their offense. And also, Decker's a, a pretty legitimate pass protector, and hopefully he will continue to improve that at the next level. Yeah, I'm definitely with you, Ian, man. That's that's a great pick. And I, I, I thought maybe you were going to pick Ronnie Stanley and I was going to prefer Decker, but you went with Decker, and I think the reasons are great because, like you said, he can play right tackle, I think. And I, I think uh, he may end up being more comfortable there in the NFL. I have no problem with him in left tackle either. But like you said, he's just a, he's a good, solid football player. And I think, he's again, we go back to safe, and there's nobody that's safe. But it's hard for me to picture Decker uh, being a failure in the NFL. I mean, I just think he improved so much from, from uh, 2000. 14 season to watching him last year and I was really impressed with that and he's a guy that man he works so hard at his craft works with the Charles Bentley just always trying to get better and you could see his feet improve so much last year he's never going to be as nimble as Tunsil uh, you know in that way but or Spriggs but I think from an efficiency standpoint guy explodes out of his stance and gets a ton of depth in his kick slide I just think his overall game is really ready to step into a starting lineup day one and he can make an impact in Tennessee. And, and with Stanley, you got a high upside. you got a high floor. But you also, I mean, man, he could be a bust. I think he's one of the riskier picks in the draft. And so for Tennessee, I, I like the pick of Decker. So I'll jump in here with uh, the Lions. And as the Lions GM, I was sitting there thinking that uh, Tennessee was probably going to take an offensive tackle. And I'm pretty happy that they went with Decker because I will go ahead and go with Ronnie Stanley, because it seems like we're in, it's become a yearly talk with the Lions of what's going to happen with Riley Reef. Is he the left tackle of the future? You know what what's going on? You know this way now you could bring in bring in Stanley, bring in a solid offensive lineman, and if you want to kick Reef over to right tackle, you can do so. Um, let Stanley play left tackle. And now you finally have a little bit of solidarity on that offensive line. So <clears throat> Stanley, for me, is the pick for the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I mean, hard to fault you with that decision. I, I think that they, uh, I think that they would go into next year okay with Reef at left tackle. I actually think he was maybe better than sort of the conversation has been this off season. That they absolutely have to replace him. I don't know that that's that's true, but I think if they get the chance to replace him like this, then they 
They certainly would. And Decker would have made sense for them too. The same way Jack Conklin would make sense is that if you, you know, maybe you think you're better off getting someone on the right. But uh, Stanley, value-wise at 16 for me, he still is my number two tackle. So I think it's great value. You know, you move Reef back to the right, you put Stanley on the left, and uh, maybe they finally protect Matthew Stafford for once, which would be a, a significant change for them offensively. That, that would be huge, especially because, you know, if they're going to try to compete in this division with Aaron Rodgers and Teddy Bridgewater, got to keep Stafford upright. Uh, you know, got to let Golden Tate make those plays and Marvin Jones. So uh, bring in Stanley, you got some solid book and tackles, and you know, we'll see what they can do after their strong finish to last season. All right, so I think I'm on the board with Atlanta now, and Looking at my options, I mean, I think Atlanta really is one of the more difficult teams in the draft to pick from. I mean, they've certainly got plenty of needs, but I don't even understand what they've really done this offseason. They made some strange moves that I don't really get. I mean, from, from Adrian Claiborne to Courtney Upshaw to uh, Mohamed Sanu paying him that much money. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely in a situation where I'm not really sure how we're structuring this team right now. Um, so... Look at the options. They need speed, a linebacker. Uh, and this is too high for Darren Lee to me, but it really, it does make a lot of sense from, from a need standpoint and from the type of player they need. I don't think Darren Lee is great in coverage right now, but he certainly projects to be great and he projects well to the NFL level. He's young. He can keep growing into the position. Um, so to me, it's a fit in that way. Um, and I like him a lot. And I think that ultimately, that Atlanta, if I'm thinking like they do, I think they'll like him a lot. And if he's on the board, I don't think they'll hesitate to take him. But to me, it really comes down to just looking at, at a what I would do perspective. It comes down to two guys for me. Uh, Carl Joseph from WVU, I think, makes a lot of sense here. As a safety, he can play in the box. He can play single high if he need to. He can play cover two. I, I mean, I just think he's that multidimensional. Now, his health has really been a huge unknown. I mean, no one is talking about it. Uh, whether he's going to be able to play this year. I haven't been able to figure out anything. I've tried to reach out. So I don't know what the situation is with his health. So to me, it's risky in that way. So to me, I look at other things that they might need and, and other playmakers that could could complement Julio Jones. And Muhammad Sanu is a guy that I think they just overpaid for, and I don't think he's going to be what they think he's going to be. So they probably aren't going to take a receiver in the first round of this year's draft, but I think it's a big need for them. I mean, Justin Hardy – uh, could step up and fill that role too. So those are the three kind of spots that I look at for them. Um, it's against my board, I think, but Darren Lee makes a lot of sense there, and I think he can grow into the position and he can fill a big need there. So I'm going to go with Darren Lee just because of the I don't. There's the unknown factor with Carl Joseph, and if they took a receiver, I'm just not sure where or how he'd play right now at this point. So I'll go with Darren Lee a little bit begrudgingly, but I think he will end up filling a pretty big need for them. I really like this pick. And I like, I, I totally agree with your assessment of their team too. Like they're, they're going to be forced into an awkward pick if the board falls pretty similarly how to it, how it's fallen for us. Um, they could use another edge guy, but I'm not sure there's a good one here. They could use maybe some secondary help, like you mentioned, the safety, but again, I'm not sure there's a great one available. Um, Dan Quinn wants speed, and I, I think you're right here. I think that Darren Lee is that guy. More productive than Miles Jack. Uh, not necessarily I agree with you here on coverage. He's not as experienced 
not quite as comfortable. He's a very young player, though, as well. He's still 20 years old, um, only a two-year player, never played linebacker before his stint at Ohio State. Um, and he was really allowed to kind of just roam and make plays. And I think that that's kind of what you want to do with him in the NFL, either as a weak side linebacker or even as a Sam moving forward, if you can kind of get him more comfortable in man coverage. Um, I really like him as just like a defensive weapon and playmaker, especially earlier in his career. Uh, Quinn has experience doing that with a similar type player in Bruce Irvin. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that might be the type of uses that he sees early in his career. Uh, but I like this pick. I mean, but you're right. There's This is where the first round gets kind of weird, um, depending on what happens in that first half, because you're just kind of like, okay, what's the biggest need, and is there anyone available there that makes sense? It's just it's, it's a difficult match here, because the, the talent, I think, in this class just takes a clear drop-off after that mm-hmm. first tier. Yeah, I mean, speaking of awkward fits uh, with the Colts here at 18, uh, and, and again, sort of in, I don't want to say in no man's land, but, you know, I don't know that there's anything necessarily that jumps off the board here for me. Um, I, I think you can consider, and again, it sort of goes back to how everyone has the defensive back set up. I think Mackenzie Alexander is someone that can be considered in this spot or, or, if you go, you know, if Eli Apple's that high for you, I guess um, he's not for me. But uh, I think you could you could talk about him here. Um, Reggie Ragland. Now that Lee's off the board, I mean, I think Reggie Ragland would be. I, I don't know that he gives them enough of a different look from what they already have at, at linebacker. But I think he would be their best linebacker if they dropped him in on that defense. I like Reggie Ragland quite a bit as a top twenty type prospect. Uh, but. Um, the guy that I will give them here at 18 is uh, Jack Conklin. Take the next tackle off the board from Michigan State. Um, you know, Jack Muhart uh, moved inside, played guard most of last year. I, they like, I think, Denzel Good, who they took in the seventh round last year, but uh, I don't know that you would go into the season expecting him to be your 16-game starter. I think Conklin obviously fits that bill, and if they wanted to mix up the line – situation again and and kick Muir back outside and try Conklin at guard. I think you could do that. Um, but with, you know, the the mini run on tackles here, Decker and Stanley both going 15-16, um, I think Con- Conklin's, to me at least, is pretty clearly the next best tackle on the board and uh, would help round out that offensive line that's had some issues, injury and otherwise, in Indianapolis. So, that's uh, who I will go with at 18. Definitely makes a lot of sense. I mean, this this is a, a pretty straightforward, very easy to explain pick. I mean, you see what's happened to Andrew Luck. That's what we're uh, looking for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's really one of those situations where it's just like if if Ryan Grigson actually does this. You'd kind of sit back and be like, wow, that actually makes sense, Ryan. Like, where's this guy <laughs> been for the last couple of years? Um, <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, I mean, I, I like Conklin. I think there's, there's some things that he could clean up in his game. But I mean, as far as what you're trying to build in Indianapolis, this, this is that type of pick where you're like, okay, we need to set the foundation. And the foundation's been cracked for so long. Um, this is the step in the right direction. Yeah, I, I think this pick is uh, a good one in terms of this is what Indianapolis needs. And again, 
I don't have Conklin near this high on my board, but if you don't get an offensive tackle at this point in the draft and you definitely need one, then when are you going to get one? And, and like you said, I think they would look at pass rusher. They would look at cornerback. Uh, they would look at running back, obviously, if Ellie were there. But I think also there's just not many options at those positions right now, uh, unless they're comfortable with Mac Alexander and, and the character things that have kind of been floating around out there. So to me, almost, you know, you, you hope you can trade back, but obviously we're not doing that here. And, and Conklin makes a lot of sense. And if you don't get a tackle now, I don't know when you're going to get one. Yeah, I have him at 22 overall. I mean, I think this is sort of the spot. We're talking about how this is where the the draft gets a little weird. I think this is where, I mean, I think we have a good idea. I won't say it's unanimous who the top five, ten picks are, but I think this is kind of in the range where you'll see draft boards vary pretty wildly because I think I would have been fine with Alexander here. Um, I think some people certainly would have argued for Leonard Floyd here, and I don't feel great about him in that range for the Colts uh, and uh, you guys are saying maybe this is too high for Conklin. This is sort of right in where I have him. So I think this is sort of, sure. this is about where we'll s- start to see those wild variances in the draft ranges because the, there isn't, I don't know that there's that much gap between the guys that are going to be picked from here through the end of round one. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you too. And, yeah. and that's where the scouting doesn't happen in a vacuum. We've got, got to look at it from the team's perspective because um, mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, from like 15 to like 45 is the really huge difference. I'm not sure that there is. But uh, but I'm sitting here at 19. I've got the Buffalo Bills. Um, Rex Ryan here losing Mario Williams after a subpar season. We've got some issues along the offense. Um, a weird uncertainty around Tyrod Taylor, which I don't really understand, quite frankly. Um, but they, for some reason, have, have those doubts, and we'll see whether those doubts are uh, well-seated or not. Obviously, in 2016, if he gets the chance, um, I do think that this team could maybe use another wide receiver. Uh, Robert Woods hasn't really developed to be the guy that maybe we thought he would be out of USC. Uh, injuries have been a factor there. Sammy Watkins is one of my favorite players in the NFL. Um, he could use a little bit more help, I think. Um, offensive line is, is good. It's not great, but it, it's passable here. But I'm actually going to look to the defensive side of the ball, get back to Rex Ryan principles, and I'm going to take a defensive lineman here. I'm going to go with defensive tackle slash defensive end Chris Jones from Mississippi State. Um, he was a late bloomer for the Bulldogs, struggled to stay on the field his first couple of years, was really just a pass rushing specialist um, who couldn't really finish too well. In the backfield, former four-star recruit. Uh, but he really broke out this last season, and he was at times just completely unblockable. Uh, he's 6'6", 310 pounds. This is a guy that he you just you don't have to watch him for more than just a couple of minutes and just to find that he is definitely an NFL athlete. Uh, he has extremely powerful hands, great length, great speed. Uh, the question for him is, can the motor keep going consistently? Why hasn't it happened throughout his college career? Um, so you have to look at those factors. And I, I, I read interviews of him, and I, I mean, I don't know him too much as a, as a person, obviously, but um, I think that you're willing to take this type of risk if you're the team like the Bills, who are third place in the AFC East, who need a little bit more talent along that defensive line, which is very expensive, um, and aging a little bit. Um, in terms of Kyle Williams specifically, 
You need to add some depth there. I think Jones is a guy who can be an excellent rotation player as a rookie and maybe even take over that starting job uh, in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I love this pick. I mean, Chris Jones is one of my favorite players in the draft. I've been super vocal about it. I was on Buffalo Radio the other day uh, at this radio station there, and they asked me if I had gun my head, who would I take if I was Buffalo at 19, the way boards typically tend to fall. And I said Chris Jones because I just think he's a guy that, when you look at what Rex Ryan values along the defensive line, he represents so many of those principles. He's a guy who can have an impact like Muhammad Wilkerson had, uh, I think, for Rex Ryan in, in with the Jets. So I think that if he's looking for pieces like that in his transition to 3-4, Jones can play anywhere along the defensive line. So if he wants to play multiple fronts, he's great with that. I mean, I saw him on tape. He was at a six-technique position, and he came off the edge, ripped the corner, and got to the quarterback. I mean, so he is a guy that – Really, like you said, if he can consistently put it all together, and I thought effort was less the issue on tape and more just consistent technique. Sometimes his technique would just fall off. Like he would use it appropriately for several snaps in a row, and then you just see two or three where it's just boom. But you're right. There was, I mean, he's, he's unblockable at times. I mean, he is, he is that talented to me. I think he's, even in this D line class, I have him as a top two to three guy, uh, among his position group. Um, so I love that pick for Buffalo. At the combine, he's described himself as a defensive end in a three-tech body, and I think that is pretty <laughs> accurate watching him play. And uh, yeah, I mean, having had a chance to talk to him a couple of times, he was on our podcast over at SI. I mean, he's he's really, I think, a likable guy. And I think the other thing is we talk about maturing and learning. Uh, yeah, and we the discussion was about no expense and off-field issues, but I think on-field, I think I think Jones did take something from not really be not really being in the starting lineup a couple of years ago. I mean, I think he did, he did take away from that, the need to be on his game a hundred percent of the time and, and playing, you know, with the, the pedal of the metal all the time. And uh, I think he learned from, from that and from you know, seeing his role reduced and he kind of saw the results this year. He came back, had a really solid year. So I think, uh, you know, you, I think there are reasons to worry in some respect about the inconsistencies, but the arrows definitely pointed up on him. So, I'll, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll step up now with the New York Jets, and I look at their roster, and I'd like to get Sheldon Richardson back on that defensive line. Uh, seeing him an outside linebacker, eh, could be okay, but if I can get someone in there and get Richardson back on the line, especially with the uncertainty of Muhammad Wilkerson, you know, is he going to stay with the Jets? Are they going to trade him? What's going to happen? Um, so I'm going to go ahead and take Leonard Floyd, the outside linebacker from Georgia, and see if I can plug him into one of those outside linebacker spots and try to get it. Try to get a strong front seven again. So, you know, a lot of people like Floyd uh, as kind of a hybrid type of player that can move around to play off the ball, and then I I think similar to maybe like a like a Bruce Irvin role uh, as well. Um, just kind of he can he can pass rush on third downs and obvious pass rush situations, but can move off the ball and play the Sam and perhaps play inside even uh, if you're talking about the Jets uh, lineup. So, I I I think the fit's a decent one. Uh, to me, this would be a little bit of a reach for him, but again, he's got great athletic upside, uh, so I think it makes sense in a lot of ways. Um, I would look at the quarterback position, obviously, but 
I mean, I would probably go Cardell Jones here, you know, if I were the Jets, but I just don't think there's any way that happened. They haven't seemed like they have much interest in him, but um, I don't know who's going to – I mean, I don't think they're willing to roll the dice with Geno Smith. So they're kind of in a hard spot right now because unless they make a move, they could be screwed out of a quarterback because they're probably going off the board. I mean, unless they try and get out of San Francisco or, you know, I, I don't know how interested Buffalo is. And if Denver's willing to move up, I think – John Elway's always aggressive, and he would make that move. I mean, made made it for Shane Ray, so I think that he could do it for a quarterback. So the Jets have kind of got to be thinking they're going to be a little proactive if they want to go get a quarterback. But if not, and if they're willing to roll the dice with what they got there, then, uh, yeah, I think Floyd, Floyd certainly fits a pretty big need. And just casually dropping the Cardale Jones round one bomb there. That was... <laughs> I, like, I mean, I would like second, but, hey, what the heck, we're reaching for all these guys anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think uh, I like it because of the the type of player that Floyd you hope he can become. I think if uh, if Noah Spence were to slide a little bit, I could see the Jets maybe even making a move up to pick him up uh, and letting him be that outside linebacker, play that outside linebacker role. I think it is important, uh, like you said, to get Sheldon Richardson back on the line as much as possible. So I. I certainly I, I have my doubts about Floyd too, but I certainly understand the thinking behind that pick. Yeah, I've got Washington here, um, and Washington's a fun team to pick for. I think I with inside the pylon was doing their their mock draft um, um, war room series, and I, I had the pleasure of picking for Washington with a couple other guys, and so I think that they're a fun team to pick for because their needs really align with what's still probably going to be on the board. And then that's the way this has fallen too. So I think there's a needed inside linebacker and Reggie Ragland fits and he's sitting here. Um, I think there's a need certainly along the defensive line. Would have loved to have Chris Jones here, but I mean, still there's options. You've got ton, all the nose tackle options are pretty much on the board and Jaron Reed and Kenny Clark would fill a big need here. A guy like even Javon Hargrave makes sense to me. A guy like Vernon Butler makes a ton of sense to me uh, from a scheme fit perspective. Um, so there's definitely, I mean, the secondary needs help too, and all the safeties are available to me. Mac Alexander Stiller, so I have a really difficult time making this pick. I think if I'm Washington, but to me, I, I I'm going to go way outside the box and do something that I don't think that necessarily we'll see happen on 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 April 28th, but something that I think would be a great player for them. Corey Lichtensteiger has done a good job at center, but he's not a game changer at center and the rest of that offensive line has the potential to be great. We don't talk about that unit enough, I think for them. So to me, I think you get a guy like Ryan Kelly from Alabama and I think it makes a lot of sense because you look at their needs and what they have um, at different positions across the board. And, and there's certainly other things present, but I mean, you look at their offensive line and really, I think they're that, that one piece away, uh, uh, Ryan Kelly, and he could even play guard if you need him to. I think fine, um, but you know if you want him to kick and kick Spencer along out of the starting lineup or whatever. But I think Sean Laveo is going to be able to step in there and and start again at guard. And really, you've got what should be a really good offensive line uh, if you can make that center position a little bit more competitive. So there's other needs, and other players would certainly be good fits as well. I'm tough to argue with here, but I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, keep all the wide receivers and all the safeties on the board. And I'm going to go with, um, with Ryan Kelly, uh, with the Redskins pick at 21. I like the, uh, I like this pick because it's, it's not where I'd go necessarily. Um, I love the reasoning for it. And I, and I, I totally agree with you on that. I think defense here would be the more alluring pick, uh, but you listen to Scott McLuhan talk. And if you read his article uh, with Jason Lock and Fora, he kind of talked about, 
or I'm sorry, I think it was Jason Cole actually um, from Bleacher Report, and he talked about bulking up in the trenches and adding these guys like Brandon Sheriff who change the mindset of the team because of this example that they set forward. Ryan Kelly is that type of player, and I think that there are some other guys maybe along the defensive line he could add uh, that also fit that mindset. And I, that's the way I expect him to go. Um, personally, I think I'd go defense here, but I do like this pick a lot. Kelly's a phenomenal center. I mean, he he really is impressive. And um, this is somewhat, though, what you kind of have to deal with if you're going to commit to Kirk Cousins. The offensive commitment is going to be heavy with Cousins because I think he's a fairly limited player um, with what he does, and he needs very good surrounding pieces. Um, but I like I like this pick because you're making that offensive line an excellent unit, um, especially if they can get the run game going with Laval added back into the mix. Uh, you're certainly going to help out Cousins there as well. I traded down a couple spots in our uh, mock draft over on our site and took Ryan Kelly for Washington and Doug Farrar yelled at me. So you're going to have to answer to him. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm with you that I think it fits. I think Kelly's going to wind up in round one. Uh, I think the, you know, there's even been some buzz that he could go as high as Detroit at 16. I think there are some, at least some fans there that would like to see him in that spot. Um, I think he does go in round one. I think, you know, the type of offense that they have there and, uh, with Cousins being relatively limited, it certainly would help to have a, a center that can kind of think one step ahead. And Kelly's really good. So, yeah, I mean, I I like the idea of going a little uh, against the grain here and, and sort of bucking the trends of what's happened in this first round and making that pick because it, it should make them better offensively. That's all you can really ask for at this point. And that puts me on the clock, too, at 22. And thankfully, that wasn't what I was going to do either here. So uh, also good. But And the Texans uh, were still waiting on quite a few defensive tackles, still waiting on quite a few wide receivers. So this is a pretty good spot because I think they could go either direction. I think they need to get someone to play the opposite end of that line across from J.J. Watt. And if ideally someone who could slide down and play some nose tackle, replace possibly replace Vince Wolfork, or at least get him off the field on, uh, he'll probably be off the field anyway on passing downs, but be the guy that replaces him on passing downs. So I think there are several names. You really could plug in there, Vernon Butler, Jerron Reed, Sean Robinson all kind of stand out. I'll swing to the other side because I, this guy's still on the board and he's my number one receiver and they need a receiver. I think you put him out there with uh, DeAndre Hopkins and defenses are going to have to pick and choose which guy they want to pay more attention to and the other one's going to make a lot of plays. So uh, I will grab Laquan Treadwell for the Houston Texans at number 22. Yeah, this is an interesting spot. And, and Chris, you're right. I think the receiver position, I mean, especially with the way the board's falling for us, every receiver is still available at, at 22. So, They've got to probably look there, I think, even if they're going best player available and it fills a huge need. Treadwell's interesting because he's he's actually drawn some comparisons to DeAndre Hopkins who didn't test well, um, but then has obviously had a great NFL career. So I think there's some similarities in their game um, in terms of the fact that neither are tri- going to test like tremendous athletes. Uh, I think Hopkins is definitely a better athlete still. Um, I don't think he gets quite enough credit for that. I'm not sure what happened at the combine, but you see him make some plays and you're like, this guy's kind of a freak. Um, so I think that they're similar enough that I would think, even though Treadwell is 
for me, my A and Michael Thomas are one A, one B in receivers for me. So I, I am really high on Treadwell. But from a fit perspective, I almost wonder if Corey Coleman, even though he's my fourth receiver or fifth receiver, would make more of an impact in that offense just because he gives them a totally different dimension that we just haven't even seen Houston have. Um, Brock Osweiler can stretch the field there maybe a little bit, and he is really just completely different from DeAndre Hopkins, I think. So I wonder if he complements him better. But it's really hard to argue with Treadwell here just because he's such a good player. Uh, he's such a good football player, and I think he makes their team so much better right away. And, I mean, you talk about making life easy for a quarterback and it's going to be in a new spot. And I think the Texans have done a great job of that with adding speeds to the offensive line and adding Lamar Miller. And now if they can add a receiver in the draft, I think that's huge for them. It's a really fun wide receiver class, too. And like you mentioned, John, you kind of have your choice um, – with every month I've done as well, this is where the run on receivers happens. And it, it, you go, okay, well, do you want the more traditional complementary type receiver next to Nuke? Or do you want to go with the Twin Tower type set up with the, uh, with the Buccaneers like Dave Dellis, Vincent Jackson, Mike Evans? Mm-hmm. Um, you really have your ability to pick. And the nice part with this class of wide receivers, all of these guys have experience in the slot and outside. And that's a great bonus to have, especially with a guy like Brock Osweiler. Um, Bill O'Brien is a fantastic offensive mind, and he's going to maximize whoever they take here. Um, I'm going to roll this into, as a nice segue, into the Minnesota Vikings pick. Like I said, I have these three top receivers, Michael Thomas, Laquan Treadwell, and Josh Doxson, all very closely rated. Um, So I'm going to be happy with whichever one falls to me. Um, I think for Teddy Bridgewater, for the sake of, him being able to, you know, kind of develop and take that next step into what I think a lot of us thought that maybe he could become. I think he needs a ball dominant receiver, and I would have been happy with Treadwell, but I am thrilled to take Josh Doxson, uh, TCU wide receiver. He is very Mike Evans like with the way that he plays. He erased a lot of bad throws from Trevon Boykin and made them into either touchdowns or big chunk yardage plays. Uh, his catch radius, I'm not kidding. I've seen him go five or ten yards in the air to travel, <laughs> make an acrobatic catch, and still get a foot or two down in bounds. And I know he's a little bit older, and there's some concern there. He doesn't create a ton after the catch. So that's that might be why he falls to this range. Um, but I'm perfectly happy with that in this draft class. He is easily the number one wide receiver on this roster. And I think that you're starting to build something around he and Stephon Diggs. You may even come back in round two or three and add another wide receiver. Um, again, I'll take whoever's available here at wide receiver just because it's the biggest need by far. And I think that the talent is perfect in this range uh, for the Vikings. But I am thrilled to get Josh Doxson. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good pick and it's a good spot to be in. Like you said, even if Treadwell comes off the board, which I think they, I definitely think they'd love um, him there uh, if he's available. But I think. Josh Dotson is an interesting fit with, with Teddy Bridgewater, I think. And I've kind of gone back and forth. People were all about Josh Dotson going to Minnesota, or, you know, from the, from early on in this draft process, I think. And I like the fact that he compliments Stephon Diggs well. He does stuff that Diggs isn't going to be able to do. Um, he, he, he was a great fit with Trevon Boykin because Boykin really, when he got into trouble, I mean, a lot of time he heaved it and, and Dotson went up and got it. Um, and it was, it was definitely organized chaos to a degree because the two had chemistry. And I wonder if that's the kind of quarterback Teddy Bridgewater is a little bit. To me, like on paper, if I look at it, I think Michael Thomas, from a a fit and a comfortability perspective, may work better in Minnesota-style of offense. But 
maybe Teddy Bridgewater needs to grow a little bit who he is as a passer and, and be willing to take those kind of shots. I think that's one thing that he has the ability to do that we don't always see from him uh, is to pull that trigger quickly and, and trust your receiver to go up and make a play. So it's an interesting discussion, I think, as to whether Michael Thomas or Josh Dotson fit better. And in the end, it may not really end up mattering that much because I think both are, are great players and, and great playmakers. Maybe I'd lean a little bit Michael Thomas here, but I certainly don't. I mean, Josh Dotson's going to be a difference maker in that offense, and they, and they definitely need one. I think you brought up the key point. Is Teddy Bridgewater been more conservative because that's who he is as a quarterback or because he doesn't have that guy that he trusts to go exactly. make plays. And so uh, if Dotson's that guy, then that, that can change things. And we saw Teddy Bridgewater do some of that in college. You know, he was more aggressive, I think with some of those 50, 50 balls yeah. when he was in, when he was in college than he has been uh, with the Vikings. So I think that's, that can be part of his game. And so, uh, Dotson fits there, but yeah, if the Vikings want a wide receiver, I mean, even with Treadwell off the board in this mock, I mean, Dotson, uh, Corey Coleman, we talked about, I think Sterling Shepard is another guy that would fit well in that scheme. So they're in pretty good shape if that's the position that they're focused in on to get some help that, you know, they're, they're really can't go wrong. I don't think with the, the guys that are there. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you guys heard, but I was definitely a little upset when Ian blurted out the name Dotson. I was ready to run to the podium with Cincinnati to get Dotson. Uh, I, was, I was hoping he would slip one more pick, but it, it just wasn't the piece. So he stole my pick, Ian. Good job. <laughs> uh, but I only think that because, you know, Cincinnati, of course, de- definitely needs receivers now. They lost Mohamed Sanu and Marvin Jones to free agency, so they want to try to find somebody opposite A.J. Green. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and go to the opposite side of the ball here and add a little bit of pass rush. Uh, we talked about this guy a little bit earlier today, um, and he's sitting here at 24, and we're going to add a little bit of pass rush, you know, help out Carlos Dunlap, you know, Maybe a replacement to Michael Johnson and Marcus Hunt. I'm going to go with uh, Shaq Lawson's teammate and go with Kevin Dodd here, the other defensive end from Clemson. Yeah, Dodd makes sense to me uh, from a scheme fit, I think, just because Cincinnati really values length at the at the uh, defensive line position. He's certainly a big, long de- defensive end that fits their physical mold, I think, um, in a lot of ways. and. I mean, it fills a need to a degree for them, too. I mean, certainly Carlos Dunlap's been productive there, but I think when you think about complementing him with other guys who can who can get to the passer um, with equal value, Michael Johnson hasn't been that guy since he came back over. Um, and, and maybe eventually a guy like Will Clark plays that role, but right now with Wallace Gilbert gone, you look at that roster, you don't see a lot of that there. So Michael Johnson's probably better used as a rotational piece, and I think Kevin Dogg can rotate in and play right away with that along that defensive line. And, and get to the passer. Um, I think he's a really good player, and, and it's hard because if you if you're in the Dodd Lawson controversy, you know we we're a part of you know the social media where if you don't love a player, you hate him. And so I'm all about Shaq Lawson being better than Kevin Dodd because I definitely think that he is. But I think Kevin Dodd's a really good player, and I, I don't like the stigma around him that he was only good for two games. I wrote about that recently. I think that's pretty faulty when you watch um, his tape throughout the year. I think it's kind of a lazy uh, statement to make about his play because I think that. Clearly throughout the year, I mean, he was dominant against Notre Dame, dominant against Wake Forest. So if you look at his games throughout the year, I think he played at a high level consistently. I mean, you don't 
finish with stats that mirror Shaq Lawson because he had two good games at the end of the year. So I think he's not the the same player that Lawson is all around from an explosiveness standpoint. Um, and he may be not as physical, but he's very gifted and I think will fit very well in Cincinnati. I think this is a very Bengals way of thinking about it. And I mean that in a good way, but uh, you know, it's a team that, uh, <laughs> I, I've actually, I think they're another team that certainly could go wide receiver here as part of that run. Uh, I've actually recently been mocking, uh, using that spot as a defensive tackle because I think they have to replace Pecco at some point. And, you know, the, they kind of like to think a year ahead. And to me, that's what you're doing with a Kevin Dodd pick because you have Dunlop. You have Johnson, you have Hunt and Clark as your backups, and so you can sort of pick and choose where you use Dodd in spots as a rookie and let him take over a starting spot as a second-year guy, and that's uh, a smart way of approaching it. That's why the Bengals have been so competitive for the last however many years it is now because they, they're they always they're never really caught in bad spots. I mean, I guess you can argue they're kind of in a tough spot at wide receiver now, but you know they're rarely caught in, in spots where they are just in – terrible shape at a position and it's that sort of thinking that leads to it so i you know i i don't know that this is the guy that they would pick but i could definitely see this pick happening there yeah now i'm on the board with pittsburgh so i get to pick for my hometown team and i could be on the chopping block if i don't uh, make this pick well so i'm gonna i was gonna say just remember all of pennsylvania right, so well. uh Northeast. I'm a little nervous about this pick. I look at the Steelers. I think really Pittsburgh's prepared to go best player available and other than a couple of positions, I don't think they'll consider quarterback in the first round. I don't think they'll consider running back in the first round. There's no tight ends that are worth taking here. Center's probably off the table for them, even if Kelly's on the board. Um, and perhaps inside linebacker, although Reggie Ragland is a little bit tempting to me because Lawrence Timmons is getting older and he certainly, I think, would emulate a similar role in Pittsburgh's defense. Um, late in the season, they were taking Timmons off the field on third downs and putting Robert Golden in. Uh, so Raglan may not even have to cover that much in Pittsburgh's scheme. So he's tempting to me, actually. And I didn't, even if he is here, I didn't really think that it would be this tempting with the way the board's fallen. I think that with, with William Jackson off the board, and um, I think that there's, with Noah Spence definitely off the board, there's he's a guy that I'm really tempted to pick. Steelers have need at defensive line. I like Andrew Billings here. I, I like a true nose tackle here, too. But I don't know if is the value there. Can can Jerron Reed or Kenny Clark play a role on passing downs? I think Stefan Tuitt and Cameron Hayward played some of the highest snap counts among defensive linemen in, in the NFL last year. They just never came off the field. So I think you've got to find a guy who can situationally pass rush. And it's a deep draft for D-line. So I think I'm willing to wait a little bit, uh, wait until the later rounds to find a guy who can fill that role. To me, I look at two guys, Mac Alexander, Fitz, Pittsburgh, I think. I think he can play in any scheme, and I think he's smart, and he's a very talented player. Now, there's the attitude concerns, I think, but I tweeted this out today that I just think he fits really well with, with Mike Tomlin personality-wise. Uh, Tomlin's a guy who is, I mean, his career has been about letting players have their personality to a point, and they know where that line is, and they won't cross him on that um, and because there's that mutual respect, Bill. I think he's great at that. Uh, it's one of the things he's best at. So, to me, I think Matt goes to Pittsburgh. He's a productive player for years, and you don't hear any of the attitude issues that are kind of creeping up uh, coming out of Clemson. But Carl Joseph's a player I just love too much uh, here. I think that he fits. 
Uh, he can play either safety spot, like I said, but really he can play kind of a rover rule, step into the slot when they need him to. Um, I think you keep Mike, Mike Mitchell in that single high rule a little bit more. and You don't need to start him where, where, right away if he served. Robert Golden stepped in last year and, and started and played at a high level. So I think the, the pick's going to be Carl Joseph from WVU uh, to Pittsburgh at 25. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. You know, I like it. Sorry, I mean to jump on. No, I mean, I think this is a, when I talked about sort of the wide range of where guys might land on uh, boards here. I have Joseph lower than this. I mean, I think uh, the injury concerns is a big thing, but as you explained it, you know, the Steelers um, back before he kind of bombed at the combine, I thought Darian Thompson was someone that could be in this range for right. Pittsburgh. I, you know, I think. It, so it, it certainly makes sense to think secondary because if you're looking at that team, that's where they need to be. And uh, Joseph's a guy probably – you put the floor on him, I think you probably put it early round two, like pick uh, 40 range. So yeah. uh, value-wise, it, it's it's not – at least from my perspective, even though I don't have him this high, it's not a, it's not a stretch and – Fit wise, yeah, certainly is uh, is a is a good get for them. Yeah, I agree on the position too. I definitely could see them going corner. Um, personally, I had Von Bell um, in a mock draft given to them. So I mean, same position. I've also done Darian Thompson. So same position, definitely the same mindset here. Um, I like Joseph. He's definitely a playmaker. I'm worried a little bit about his size. I'm worried a little bit about the injury. Um, He's a, he's a hit or miss guy, that's for sure. His aggressiveness will make him a stud, or it'll make him uh, maybe a little bit more of a Brandon Merriweather type. But I think he's <laughs> worth the risk. I think he's better than that in coverage, by the way. But yeah. um, you know, I think he's worth the risk here. I, I like it, and like we've kind of talked about, this is this is that range where it's just going to kind of depend on personality fit, um, because schematically these are guys that are all kind of similar and and you know that same vein. All right, and I believe I am up now with the Seahawks at 26. And uh, I'm kind of focused on both lines. I mean, I think had Ryan Kelly been there, he would have been interesting for the Seahawks. Um, Traded away Max Hunger a year ago. I don't know that they necessarily feel great about where they are really anywhere on the offensive line, and that includes center. Um, But with him gone, I kind of – focus on the tackle spot i think jason spriggs with his athleticism with the type of guys they've tried to get for tom cable and that in that offensive line um makes a lot of sense there are still so many defensive tackles on the board that we haven't gotten to either so uh i like spriggs i sort of go back towards the value i think you know we'd be talking about the fifth offensive tackle off the board we've only had uh, one or two, if that, defensive tackles. So you pretty yeah, much have three. your pick. Yeah, two. Okay, three, three defensive tackles. You still well, have your pick. Buckner, I guess so, yeah. Two, uh, right, Chris Jones and Buckner. Yeah, so you still have your pick of quite a few guys here, including uh, both the Alabama guys, Jerron Reed and Ashawn Robinson. Vernon Butler is someone I love, I think, is a top 20 talent. Uh in this class. And, and I think that's going to be my pick because as much as I like Jerron Reed, I, I like Ashawn Robinson. I think 
if you're looking at those guys that have the best chance to be a three-down player from the defensive tackle spot and still be versatile, still have that size if you want to play him inside, I think Vernon Butler brings that to the table. And I think he can be – I think Ashawn Robinson can be that penetrating third-down force, given some time, given the right scheme. But I, I definitely believe Vernon Butler brings that to the table. And, uh, you know, I guess maybe it's a little early for him. In, depending on uh, how you feel about him, but I, I I like the fit for the Seahawks. They lost Brandon Ebane, so uh, some need there, and uh, I think they would just love the types of things he can do up front. Yeah, I mean, from a fit perspective, like you said, it makes a lot of sense, and maybe it's a little bit early for him, but he's just a really good player. I think he's going to be really good in the NFL, and you get him in a scheme like Seattle's, I think, and I mean, he's a guy that can move around a little bit up there, and I think he can. I mean, he's really explosive for a guy that's as big as he is. Was he like 325? But he can move, and I mean, he can. He's a guy that can wreak havoc on three downs, I think, and will play that role for them. And as the kind of players they like to find, I think. And I mean, you obviously look at the offensive line. I don't know if I've ever seen a team go into a draft with a line that looks like theirs. I mean, there's <laughs> dudes I've barely heard of that are about to start on their offensive line. That is a pathetic group right now. So, but I like you said. I mean, to me. Jason Spriggs is like a late second to me. Uh, so that's, that's a, a reach for sure. Uh, Jermaine Ifedi's kind of like an early third to me. So I mean, I don't know. It's a reach if you want to go for offensive tackle. They, they're almost forced to with how bad that line is because there's no way either of those guys are available when they pick again. And I don't know that I don't really like personally any other tackles in this draft. So they're in a tough spot because they've just drafted so poorly along the offensive line, um, and developed so poorly there. Um, so they may have to just be one of those teams that's good, but still has to reach, uh, which is a sucky spot to be in. But if that's not the route they choose to go, then I, I love Butler there. I think Cody Whitehair maybe would be interesting to them at that yeah. spot because he can play multiple positions and, you know, be a guard. But also I, I think he has some potential to kick out the tackle, at least on a temporary basis. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I think the value here is that defensive tackle and, uh, kind of take your pick on which guy you like. I just happen to like Butler more than some of the other guys, but uh, like I said I think there are several you could justify here. Yeah, I agree, and that actually was going to be my pick for Green Bay. Uh, uh, I finally did. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're right. I mean, John, you mentioned this with with Butler. He's a hefty dude. He measured like three twenty, three twenty five. And quite frankly, I think he could stand to kind of trim down a little bit and get in a little bit better shape. Um, just kind of physically on the field, he just looked a little heavy for his frame, uh, which is impressive that he's that explosive and he may not even be in peak form yet. Um, this isn't uncommon with young defensive linemen especially. It, it can take them multiple years, more so with maybe nose tackles than uh, you know, defensive tackles or five techs, uh, wherever you want to play these guys. But um, I like Butler a lot. I think... And you had mentioned this, um, you mentioned this, Chris, that he's a guy that can be a three down threat. And I think that's probably where, that's where I wanted to go with Green Bay. But obviously with Green Bay, um, they've got Mike Daniels as your under tackle and he's going to be the guy rushing the passer. So we now have a massive need as the Packers GM, um, Ted Thompson. We may need a, a wide receiver. I think that there's some turmoil there, especially if Jordy Nelson doesn't come back 100%. Um, I'm a little bit concerned here uh, with the linebacking crew, but I think I have to stick in the trenches here with the defensive line. Josh Boyd, Latroy Guillon, 
Dayton Jones. These guys are not making me feel comfortable about where we stand at this in this uh, defensive line. I'm going to go out. I'm going to get Jerron Reed from Alabama. I think he's a very safe player. He's an excellent run defender, and you can count on that for his early career. Um, he can instantly slide in in either five technique or nose tackle. Um, you can rotate him between those positions. He is a ready-made player uh, for this defensive front. And uh, I'd be tempted here by Ashawn Robinson. I think Ashawn Robinson's another great fit, specifically more as like a five technique in Josh Boyd's uh, position. But I like Reed a little bit more just because he's a little bit better against the run. Um, Robinson may offer a little bit more in pass rush, but we're going to probably have to double back here um, in the second or third round and add another talent to this unit anyways. Uh, so I'm going to maybe take like a, a falling pass rusher because the NFL seems to undervalue these undersized pass rushers. Um, so maybe you can, you can add one of those guys later in this draft or you can add another run stuffer um, here later on day two, maybe like a Kenny Clark from UCLA or someone like that. Yeah, Reed's not a sexy pick for sure, but man, I think he's one of the best players in this draft. I mean, if you just take, you know, value out of the fact that maybe, now I think he can rush the passer a little bit, but maybe he only plays, you know, I don't know what percentage of your snaps, 60% or whatever your snaps are, or less maybe if they're a nickel a lot, you know, so you got to value that, I think, appropriately, but Green Bay doesn't have a ton of needs, and certainly this is an important part of their defense that they don't have any options at really right now, so to me, it makes a ton of sense. Certainly, there's other guys, maybe if they waited later, that could fill that role, too, I think. Um, you know, perhaps like a Kenny Clark, like you said, maybe even an Austin Johnson. So I think that there's some options later in the draft if they do decide to pass. The one player that would tempt me here is Reggie Ragland, I think, just because I, I like Ragland a lot still. Maybe I'm a sucker for – I don't like Ashawn, but I like Jerron Reed and I like Reggie Ragland. So I'm a sucker for these Alabama guys, maybe. But I think that Ragland is – is going to be a really good player, and he feels a big need for them. Uh, you know, maybe he's not going to play a heavy role uh, on passing downs. Uh, maybe he's not going to do some things like Miles Jack would do, but that's okay. You know, I don't think he needs to be that type of player. And so I think he'd be real tempting for Green Bay um, if they want him. But they certainly have options, I think, at inside linebacker or defensive line later in the draft if they choose to go uh, in one direction or the other. So to me, I, Jerron Reed's where I, I mocked him to Green Bay in my last mock, and I think it makes a lot of sense. All right, so I'll go ahead and jump on with the Chiefs, and um, I'll just go quick here and then get you guys' thoughts. We talked about this guy before. You guys mentioned his attitude problem, but uh, maybe a guy like Andy Reid can help whip him into shape, and they did just lose Sean Smith, which created a big hole in the secondary. So if they get this guy going, and he could possibly – create a solid cornerback pair with uh, Marcus Peters, I'm going to go with Mackenzie Alexander. That's a pair that's going to talk, man. Marcus Peters and Mackenzie Alexander are going <laughs> to talk. It's going to oh, be some yeah. interesting practices there. So, But I love Mac, man. I don't know. like Maybe it's me, but I love my cornerbacks with swagger. I mean, really, any player, any position. But, man, when your cornerbacks talk trash like, and they back it up with their play on the field, I mean – I don't know. I mean, certainly maybe he's a challenging personality to work with, but I certainly think that the talent is there from Kenzie Alexander. The draft process, this pre-draft era, has been really unkind to him, I think, and, and rough for him. Um, and probably he will slip into the second round, I think, based on what we're hearing. But 
I think whoever gets him is getting a really good player. I think he can play in the slot. He can play on the outside. Yeah, the ball skills are a question mark, I think, and not just because of the zero interceptions, but on tape sometimes he does struggle to get his head around and, and, play, and play the football. But he plays the pocket really well, I think, and he's a guy that can be sticky in coverage and is just going to compete, man. And and I don't I don't get the stuff about, you know, maybe saying something about his attitude is one thing, but they're – I mean, that dude knows every receiver he faced, knows their strengths, their weaknesses, everything they do on tape, their tendencies, their tells. I mean, he studies his tape. So I, I, I the work ethic stuff, when the, when the attitude concern and, and the character, kind of the way that he his demeanor bleeds over into, oh, maybe he's not going to work as hard, that's where I draw the line. Because to me, the man, that dude sleeps, eats, and drinks football, and I, I love that in the cornerback. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you here. I, I like that in a cornerback as well. as part of the reason why I absolutely loved Marcus Peters last year. Um, there, you know, he's a third-year sophomore, and I think that that's important, and I think that explains a lot of his faults on tape. Um, Clemson trusted him to do a lot, and really the only wide receiver who made him pay for it, and it's the game that everyone looks at when he struggles, it's against Matt Collins, not only in 2014, but also in 2015. Uh, the North Carolina receiver. But let me just tell you, Matt Collins is a heck of a football player. Yeah, Hollins beats a lot of cornerbacks. Um, it's not just Alexander. And I think Alexander's going to be just fine. He didn't have much help um, at Clemson, not in terms of talent, but in terms of scheme protection. He was on an island a lot. And so for him, it's about protecting against big plays. Um, and he still did a really good job covering the underneath stuff, too. I think that he's going to get, um, especially if you look at Kansas City here, Heck of a coaching staff. You really couldn't go to a better situation um, to learn the nuance of the position, continue to improve his footwork. I do worry a little bit. You know, he's he doesn't have great length. He's uh, not the fastest, not the quickest. He's got good speed. Um, so there is some stuff there I think he can clean up. He needs to be a little bit better of a technician. But, again, he's very young. Uh, he's going to continue to improve as a young player. I think they absolutely have to go cornerback. Pretty early in this draft, we saw how much they struggled when Sean Smith was out of the lineup last year. Uh, they do tend to like bigger guys, bigger cornerbacks, so maybe that pushes them away from Alexander a little bit. But for me, if you're stacking him up against you know Eli Apple or uh, TJ Green for whatever reason has been oh, <laughs> we heard about round yeah. one, it's uh, not a close just yeah. because of the size. I think Mackenzie Alexander is clearly the best of that group at this point. And so, yeah, I mean, at this, in this spot in the, in round one, 28, uh, if he gets into round two, I think it's going to be an absolute theft for some team, even here round one, that the value is incredible, I think. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm all aboard that pick. I think it's really ironic that TJ Green is being talked about as, as late first, early second round pick when, I mean, Mac Alexander, like, like you said, Ian, he kept TJ Green from having to do a lot of stuff he's going to do in the NFL. So, I mean, he can thank Mac for whatever money he's about to make because, I mean, TJ Green, I mean, maybe as a developmental guy, but man, going ahead of Mac Alexander is just, and the draft is nuts, man. I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm up. Am I up? Yeah, I'm up for for Arizona here at 29. I like a lot of a lot of options still on the board for Arizona. I think they would have looked at Ryan Kelly and they would have been pretty happy there. Honestly, um, certainly there's needs at a couple spots. Corners one, but I think at this point, uh, like you said, Chris, I just am not a big fan of Eli Apple, and 
So to me, it drops off at this point after those top three, four, if you count Ramsey there. Um, I think the, the talent at the position really drops off. So there's nobody here that really interests me right now, cornerback. Defensive line, there's some players we could look at, but Arizona's found depth uh, or talent deeper into the draft at times before. So to me, really, with no center option on the board, there's no tight end I love here. Um, to me, the position obviously is offensive guard. Um, and I think Joshua Garnett's the pick. I just think he's, I don't think, and for whatever reason, and there was phases where we talked about Joshua Garnett, but he just doesn't get talked about. And I think he's a top 15 player in this draft, probably. Um, I just think he's, I mean, he's so powerful. The dude loves the game. Um, from, uh, from a work ethic standpoint and from an attitude standpoint, he might be Bruce Arians' favorite player in this draft, I think, uh, just in terms of his personality. He is infectious and energized. Um, probably one of the just when I talked to him in Mobile, one of the best personalities. He wants to be a trauma surgeon someday when he's done with football. Extremely bright, uh, but loves the game. And my goodness, he talks so much trash. Um, so they're going to love him, I think, in Arizona. He fits the kind of brash way that they play football. They're very much a uh, they do things their own way there. And, and that's Bruce Arians style. And I think he'll fit right in there. Um, obviously they need guards, uh, losing Jonathan Cooper. Uh, they picked up Evan Mathis, but he's not the long-term solution for sure. So, uh, they've got to look at the, the, the options they have at the position and, and try and fit somebody next to with Mike Ayupati, uh, the other guard spot there. And I think he's a perfect fit. I think he's a great talent. He can run gap or zone schemes. He can open up holes in that, in that offense. And he's a guy that I think is just going to keep getting better, keep getting better. He, he mean, uh, I talked to all his teammates at Stanford. They all said the same thing about him. They said, Attention to detail. That's his main thing. I mean, he is the guy who is so focused on I mean, there would be reps where he destroyed people in practices of Mobile, and he would go out of the huddle cussing himself out because he did something wrong. I mean, he is that competitive. So I love his fit. I think Arians is going to love him. I think he's going to start, and we're going to look back at this draft and think of him as a top 15 to 20 talent uh, in this class. And speaking of the Senior Bowl, here's hoping the four of us could meet up in Mobile. One Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I think Garnett is – there are always – I guess Kelly kind of covers this, but there's always one interior lineman that kind of rises up uh, late in the process, and uh, Lake and Tomlinson a year ago. I mean, I think Garnett deserves to be in that conversation. I think he's uh, – I mentioned Cody Whitehair. I think uh, you probably see some teams maybe think about him, but Garnett is just – is so impressive in – and, you know, you think about the Stanford offense and uh, you hear that pro-style tag, and you kind of think that you're always getting a, a guard who offensive lineman who's just, you know, one of those phone booth type guys, can't move a whole lot. They pulled him a ton at Stanford, and he can get out and, and get on to the second-level guys and, and be a lead blocker for you, and I think he moves better than people give him credit for. So, uh, you know, I – definitely worthy of round one consideration and for the Cardinals that makes it definitely makes sense too uh and so that brings it to me at 30 with the Panthers and uh even as of 30 seconds ago I was trying to <laughs> just <laughs> play around online here and figure out exactly what I wanted to do with this pick um I mean, I I I do like Ashawn Robinson quite a bit. I think value-wise, this is uh, a steal for him. Same thing for Reggie Ragland. We're kind of feel like we're overlooking the Alabama guys in general. Um, if Reed just went. I I don't know that they need either of those guys. They're in pretty good shape at linebacker and up front. Uh, where Robinson would be at least they you know you have 
Tula, you have Quan Short, who now I assume both will be getting pretty hefty contracts now that Josh Norman's out of the picture. Uh, so I don't think you need to commit to a defensive tackle there either. Um, you know, I don't know that Raglan fills, if, if you're planning for post Thomas Davis life, I don't know that Raglan fills necessarily that exact role. So, uh, but two guys, I guess, <laughs> don't deserve to mentioning again. Uh, then, the name that I keep coming back to here, and he happens to be on the board again in this mock, is Corey Coleman. Uh, and I think he gives a dimension, he could give a dimension to that offense that they don't necessarily have. You know, Calvin Benjamin, Devin Punches are both bigger outside type targets. Ted Ginn's mostly a deep threat only. Uh, Corey Coleman is, someone you could sort of pair almost with Greg Olson in, in those short to intermediate routes, let him do some work after the catch. You can get him downfield, have him be that home run threat. Uh, and they're a team, they obviously have needs, especially a cornerback now that they got rid of Norman. But uh, I think it's, it's an offense that was really good for most of last year until the Super Bowl and, a, and one that should be really good again. And you add in a piece like Coleman is a player they haven't had that type of player uh, since. I mean, I think he's probably closer to Steve Smith than anything they have on the roster. So I'll uh, I'll give them Corey Coleman here and continue to add weapons for Cam Newton. Yeah, Corey Coleman. I mean, that's a that'd be a great pick for the Panthers in a lot of ways. But I mean, he gives them basically makes Ted Jen kind of you know you could. You can move on without Ted Ginn now if you have to, which uh, you had to use him last year. And, you know, half the time he did his job and half the time he dropped easy passes. So, I mean, you just, you always had that variable with him. And, and Corey Coleman has his issues with drops, but I think he's pretty short-handed overall. And guy who can stretch the field and can create with the ball in his hands, can get off press coverage, I think, which is something that Ginn doesn't do as well. And so I think from that perspective, he fits. I mean, he's, Cam Newton's got a lot of them. They don't have anybody who can create after the catch really there right now. So that's going to be huge, I think. Um and he adds a dimension of their offense they don't have. I mean, that's going to be a scary unit if he steps in there uh, with, you know, the, the Twin Towers, as Ian said, with, uh, with uh, Funches and Kevin Calvin Benjamin on the outside. So, man, them and Greg Olson, that could be a terrifying unit. Yeah, I like that fit, too. It's, and that kind of goes with, you know, the perfect guy that you can rotate in there, um, create after the catch. So I, I really like uh, Derrick Henry, actually, as a fit there. Um, the inside zone, the power run, uh, he would just be an absolute monster behind Jonathan uh, Stewart. And I think that taking over, he could easily take over next year, uh, just continue to reload, make this a team that's just an absolute force. Uh, we already know Trey Turner is just a nightmare to deal with, um, as well as a, an excellent interior offensive line. It's not just Turner. Um, really, they've kind of changed the way that we can look at building an offensive line from the inside out as opposed to outside in. I think Henry would really do a nice job of uh, complimenting that. Yeah, that would be a great pick too. So I've got the last pick here in the first round. Thanks to the, uh, the Denver Broncos. They've actually made this interesting because they haven't properly addressed the quarterback situation. Unless if you are a Matt Mark Sanchez, the Sanchez <laughs> fan, which uh, if you're a fan of his, I, I don't really know what to tell you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they're they're strapped for cash, and they may have to trade Aqib Tlaib uh, to, to get their guy and Colin Kaepernick um, if they're interested in revisiting Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
quite frankly, neither of those options are too appealing to me. Um, but then again, investing at this point in a first-round quarterback, uh, considering who's off the board and who's left, I'm not too sure if I'm really too thrilled about that either. But I will say I'm not a big Connor Cook fan. I, I think he's more of a mid-round prospect, ideally. But unfortunately with the draft, things don't happen like that. And you kind of have to take guys as they come to you, and, and you kind of have to project and say, well, if we don't take him here, will he last to our next pick? I, because of the situation, I, I prefer Cardell Jones, to be honest, but I don't think Cardell's going to be quite as ready to play as Connor Cook. And if no deal's going to be struck for anyone else, um, whether it be Kaepernick or Fitzpatrick, um, I think I'm going to have to go with Connor Cook here from Michigan State. I think he is ready to play right away. He doesn't need to wait as long as his shoulder is healthy. Um, which is something I don't think many people have talked about either. His shoulder, I would really like to hear an update on his shoulder. Um, if he's healthy, he flashes incredible ball placement at times. He has some really bad habits as well. His feet are stuck in mud, um, which partially was due to the Michigan State offensive system. They just wanted him to make one read for most of, most of his plays and just deliver the ball, um, which he had hit or miss success on. He's He's inconsistent. He reminds me a little bit of Andy Dalton, uh, maybe a little bit lesser in terms of consistency with accuracy. Uh, but overall, he's a guy you can trust him with an offense, especially in Gary Kubiak's offense. He's going to be able to to maximize these weapons uh, within the structure of the offense. Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas are going to do a lot of heavy heavy lifting on their own. Obviously, with C.J. Anderson back in the fold, that's a nice... Uh, re-signing for them. I think that if he's healthy, he can be a major difference maker. Again, ideally, I think that you'd add a veteran and maybe wait until later in the draft, but with how this has played out so far, and I'm not going to project any trades in the middle rounds, I'm going to go ahead and take Cook and uh, and see what we can do with him. He may he may start in 2016 in this scenario. Yeah. Well, at, at his pro day, he, uh, he said his shoulder was stronger than it had ever been, and I don't know you know, that might just be pre-draft speak, but he he did throw the ball pretty well that day, and uh, I think the big strength for him is downfield. He looked good throwing the ball downfield his pro day. He had a couple really beautiful 50-, 60-yard spirals, uh, and actually is why I've considered him quite a bit for Arizona at 29, because I think they need a quarterback post-Carson Palmer. I think he fits that system with what Bruce Arians likes to do downfield really well. And uh, I like him. I mean, I, I think he's a borderline round one guy as it is. And so I don't have a problem bumping him up here to 31. And like you said, if, if Denver doesn't have a quarterback, you know, you don't want to go in with, with Mark Sanchez and Trevor Simeon as your one too. And uh, Cook's, Cook's uh, maybe more ready to play next year than any other quarterback in this draft, to be honest. And that includes Goff, that includes Wentz and Lynch. So this is, I I think this is a, a good pick for them. I, I like it, and, and I like the, what he could do uh, in that offense. And we talked about Teddy Bridgewater not being a guy who took chances as, for the Vikings so far. Uh Connor Cook will take some chances. He'll give those receivers uh, a chance yeah. to make some plays for better or worse. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm I'm lower on Connor Cook the most. I'm more like you, Ian. I see him as more of a mid-round prospect. I have a third-round grade on him. Um, 
you know, you wonder how much the shoulder made an impact, and certainly that could be, you know, a contributing factor to why my grade's lower than, than, than most maybe on him. And to me, when I watched him, and this maybe sound like it's nitpicking, but the guy just doesn't get great torque on the ball consistently, and I think he's really stiff. I talked to Mark Schofield of Inside the Fallen, who studies quarterbacks really closely, and when I looked at Cook, I feel like he's really stiff in his throwing motion. Like He doesn't get full torque behind the ball. Um, it's just kind of all arm behind his throws. And so the ball really gets away from him a good bit because of that. And so there's there's correctable issues like that. And, and Gary Kubiak's, I mean, he's a guy that can work with quarterbacks for sure and, and got a lot out of Matt Schaub for, for a lot of years. And I don't think Schaub was the greatest prospect at his position. So if there's a place Cook has to go, I actually – I actually dig Connor Cook uh, going there. I think he's a good fit uh, for that offense. I think he runs things really well. I also see him similar to Andy Dalton. Maybe, like you said, more accuracy issues, and I wonder if his mechanics are a little bit worse. But I think they're in similar vein. That's probably his ceiling, Cook, uh, in, in my opinion. So, But I think Kubiak can win with that type of quarterback and be successful. So uh, it's a good pick for Denver and a good way to wrap up the first round, I think. Yeah, and it's definitely a – Definitely not a bad pick. I can certainly see Denver taking one of those quarterbacks late in the first round. Uh, this is certainly also a position, even before we get to Denver, maybe a spot like Arizona or Carolina where we could start seeing teams jump back into the first round um, to maybe take a couple of those quarterbacks. You know, Maybe Cardale Jones sneaks into the first. Our boy Christian Hackenberg, maybe he sneaks into the first. Please, no. <laughs> hey, you never know. Penn State will be happy That's about true. that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I need I need something from Penn State. I want to at least get them. <laughs> um. So real quick, I have one more question for you guys. If you want to go around the horn quick, so we've wrapped up the 2016 mock and we're getting ready for the actual 2016 draft. But it's never too early to look ahead to 2017, is it? Oh no. <laughs> so, <laughs> Gonna go, gonna go around the horn real quick. I want you guys to give one name that you are going to start your 2017 draft coverage. One player that uh, you're gonna begin your coverage on. And we'll start with Chris. Uh, oh man. <laughs> you guys on the spot. Uh, here. Well, since you we we talked about so many Ohio State guys, and since you've hyped the Penn State guys, I'll go with my oh gee, my thanks. boys. I'll go with my Wolverines here and Jabril Peppers. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think Jabril Peppers. Oh, sorry, I think, say that again. I think I interrupted you there. I'm I sorry. think Jabril Peppers is going to be a potential top ten guy. They're playing. I was at the spring game this year. They were playing him at linebacker exclusively. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where they use him. He was cornerback. He played some safety. I mean, I think that's a, that's a Homer selection for me, but I'm okay with that. Cause uh, I've had to uh, cover a lot of Michigan state and Ohio state and Notre Dame and all those <laughs> rival draft picks and not that many Michigan guys. So I'll throw the Wolverine out there. And uh, I think Peppers certainly is a round one guy. If he comes out next year. Oh, there you go. At least you got a shout out to your uh, Wolverines. You can send this to Harbaugh and let him let him tweet it out for us. No? <laughs> John, what do you got? Um, yeah, there's a lot of options. It's definitely too early, by the way, but <laughs> but there's a lot of options still. Um, I, I I like law. Obviously, the running back class, and they're easy to talk about. For for me, I thought Carl Lawson, if he came out this year, would have been one of the best prospects in the draft, even given his injury history. 
Um, so the important thing for him is just going to be staying healthy this next year, I think. So I think he's um, plays a position of value as an edge rusher and has, a, I mean, in terms of being able to bring it off the edge of speed, power, and hand usage, his combination to me was pretty deadly. So I love him as a prospect, and he's one of the guys that I'll, I've already written a lot about, but I'm going to continue to to track really closely and just hope and pray he stays healthy uh, for next year's draft. Yeah, Lawson's Lawson's a star, man. Like he he may be the top edge next year, which is really saying something, um, considering the depth that's going to be at that position. I mean, you've got John Allen from Alabama, obviously Miles Garrett uh, from Texas A&M too. So I, I really like Shaq Lawson as well. Um. My guy for next year um, that I'm going to probably start with is Mike Williams, the wide receiver from Clemson. Um, I think he probably would have ended up wide receiver number one had he been healthy this year uh, for me and and maybe for for some others as well. Just an explosive playmaker, um, another Mike Williams, of course, prospect, which is going to be confusing <laughs> and, and certainly turn. I'm I'm 100 sure this time next year there's going to be anonymous scout that says he's just another Mike Williams <laughs> and it's going to be, it's going to be terrible. Um, and I can't wait for it because we're going to come back to this podcast. I'm going to say, <laughs> I finally got something right. You guys, I actually nailed this one. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to start with Mike Williams. I mean, I, I think it's a good class just from what I've seen studying this year and last year. Um, of course I say that now and everyone will, you know, not perform like they should, but, um, so I'll be looking at, at Mike Williams from Clemson. Sounds good. Uh, boy, this was a, a great night. You know, really glad we got this together. Um, Chris, real quick, if you want to plug anything you got going on and, you know, where the listeners can find you. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, at Chris Burke underscore SI on Twitter. Uh, the SI draft preview uh, is on newsstands, if we're still using that <laughs> phrase. Uh, and uh, during the draft, we're actually doing a live show Thursday night, the first round online at SI.com, which you can check out there. And our On the Clock podcast I mentioned uh, briefly earlier, but that's on iTunes as well, so. Hopefully that's not plugging too many things, but uh, appreciate any any extra eyeballs on any of those spots. Absolutely, John. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ledyard L E D Y A R D NFL Draft, um, and then at uh, thedraftwire.com, USA Today's draft site, and um, definitely we got a number of things going on there. But uh, gonna have a running draft track. This is our first draft ever since since the site started in late December, so. Um, we're going to have a draft tracker running up there uh, with live analysis on uh, each of the picks as they happen, which should be fun. Um, we'll be doing some different things with coverage, too. I don't want to give too much away, but we'll, we'll be doing some different things with with coverage of the draft from team perspectives. Um, and we'll have guys kind of putting out pieces on enough uh, analysis on each pick and how it fits schematically uh, into what a team's trying to do and how effective that player might be early on in their career. So. Uh, we'll be doing that and right now, putting out positional rankings. Got uh, a late night ahead of me here and putting up finishing offensive tackle rankings and, and posting them to the site uh, for the morning um, for people to see. And then we'll keep churning those out as we as we get closer. We got a number of them uh, that are up already on the site, so definitely check that out. TheDraftWire.com. Andy, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I just have to take a look what I've got coming up. Um, I think I'm going to be looking at uh, latest buzz that's going to be surrounding um, each top prospect, um, and I'll also do a final team by team analysis with uh, team needs, fits, and predictions next week um, as well. And I'm going to try to turn out a mock draft sometime in the next week as well. So uh, look forward to that, and look forward to everyone laughing at me. So that'll be fun. <laughs> Chris and John, thank you guys so much for uh, spending the night with us and mocking with us. It's been a great time. Thank you so much to the two of you. Hey, thank you both, guys. This was great. I really appreciate it. And uh, and can't wait. It's a week away. I'm ready for it. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for inviting me. It was uh, always fun to hear everyone's opinions on this. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it, too. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. Have to get you back on the show sometime. Ian, as always. Another fine week with you, my friend. Absolutely, absolutely. Appreciate everyone. Appreciate your time, and uh, we'll catch up after the draft. Absolutely. So for Chris, John, Andy, and I'm Bill Rossetti, thanks so much for listening to the Gridiron Graduates. And until next time, take care, everybody.